0: And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We're the till three on this Thursday with plenty to get to over the next few hours. Coming up, the biggest issues facing the NBA, Adam Silver responds. Plus, the Atlanta Braves dropping that series against the Mets. Why it's important even in July. We'll talk with Corey McCartney later on this hour around 1230 to break down essentially the first half of the season for the Braves. As we get this weekend series and then head into the All-Star break. Plus, you know, I teased it yesterday. I never got to it. That was a bad job. But why quarterback play, good quarterback play, isn't just huge for your favorite football team, but also for your health as well. We'll get to that later on. Plus, some audio, comments, breakdown from the Big 12 media day yesterday. Mike Gundy with some interesting thoughts. We heard from the first time from the big 12 the new big 12 commissioner we'll get to that later on we'll throw it back a little bit on a thursday and plenty more to do throughout the afternoon with you till three you can join the conversation throughout 843-721-9500 to give us a call you can always text the show 843-608-1734 get to us on twitter at morrow middays on facebook at espn charleston Via email studio at Kirkman dot com or online at Charleston dot com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at Charleston We're it till three on this Thursday. Anderson's on the steel wheels. Anderson, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Luke. Doing
2: fantastic. Sitting in for our buddy Trent. I uh, hope he's arrived safely in Pittsburgh by now. I know he had a really early flight. Yes. So, uh,
1: yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, though. Yeah, good to have you along.
2: Appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Trent's taking uh, the next couple of days off. After he filled in for me last week when I was off, it's the summertime. He got some moving pieces. So hopefully uh, Trent has a great week and we'll have him back uh, next week. And we got plenty to do over the next few hours. We'll learn a little bit more about Anderson throughout the next few days as well. Hey, I was just looking, before we dive in, I was just looking at the uh, U.S., or I should say the open uh, standings. Tiger Woods, four over par. He's tied for 136 right now. There's only a few guys below him. Through six holes, four over. Not a great start for Tiger this morning. Teed off at about 10 a.m. Eastern time. The whole thing started at about 1.30 a.m. Eastern time. And Tiger off to a slow start. We had Jeremy Schilling on the show yesterday. He talked me into Tiger Woods. And I took Tiger Woods to actually finish. I took a flyer. A little pizza money on Tiger to finish in the top 10. I could probably throw out that ticket already. He's tied for 136 right now. So not great. Not a great start for Tiger. We'll keep you posted on the Open uh, throughout the afternoon as long as we're on the air. Right now Cameron Young's in the lead, 8-under, and Rory is 6-under in second place. But let me start with this. The other day I said for the NBA the biggest issue is what's going on with this whole Kevin Durant situation. It illustrates the biggest problem that the NBA has going for them. With this player empowerment movement and guys trying to force their way out. Adam Silver had his uh, press conference, and Adam Silver was talking about that idea, about guys like Kevin Durant forcing trades to get out of their current situations. Here's what the NBA commissioner said on that topic. This was Adam Silver this week.
3: I don't know whether, whether he requested a trade or demanded one, but uh, this needs to be a two-way street. Um, teams provide enormous security and guarantees to players, and the expectation is in return that they'll meet their end of the bargain. I'm realistic that there's always conversations that are going to go on behind closed doors between players and their representatives on the teams, but we don't like to see players requesting trades, and we don't like to see
1: it playing out the way it is. Adam Silver on the idea of players forcing their way out of certain cities. Now, as he said at the end, I don't know what the bigger issue is, that it's happening or that we know it's happening, that it's being played out publicly. Because the way he phrased it, it was almost like he preferred if it was just behind closed doors. Force your trades. Force your way out of cities. But do it like back in the day when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did such a thing. And nobody really knew about it until years later And he was behind closed. He didn't make a big public scene about it. Forced his way out, went to L.A., and had much more success there. But for Adam Silver, there's not a whole lot of ground he can stand on. I mean, he's the commissioner. He's running the sport. And this whole thing, this trend, has occurred under his watch. I mean, he made this bed, now he's laying in it, and he's unsatisfied. It'd be like if he made the, the meal, right? Let's say Adam Silver, I believe he's a married man. If his wife normally makes the meals, and one night Adam says, you know what, I want to make something. Maybe it's for an anniversary, it's for a birthday. He said, I want to make a special meal. And the meal doesn't come out very good. And then he's complaining about how bad the meal is. Like you have nobody else to blame but yourself. You're the one that cooked the awful meal you didn't enjoy. So don't blame anybody else. Don't blame your wife or, in this case, for Adam Silver. Probably has some sort of help around the house. Don't blame them for the poor grocery shopping. You're the one that made the poor meal. Adam Silver has made this bad situation for the NBA. He works for the owners, or at least supposed to, but no one has been better for the players. And Adam Silver gets a lot of credit in the media world or just in general, in the sports world, because he is... um, He's out there. He's well-versed in the media landscape. Like Rob Manfred, anytime he does media, he puts his foot in his mouth. Adam Silver is well-spoken. He gets along with everybody. He's a likable guy. But he certainly has been much more of a player's commissioner than an owner's commissioner, which is the anti of uh, David Stern, who he replaced. Stern was the opposite. Now, players were really ticked off about 20 years ago when Stern implemented certain dress codes just to arrive at the arena. Adam Silver's the opposite. In fact, he works for the owners, uh, but remember in the nba you're not supposed to call them that anymore change that idea the biggest problem the nba is facing though is trying to actually get players to play in the games whether it's between load management or this player empowerment movement now guys just aren't playing enough guys are either sitting out a third of the games where the stars are not playing each and every night or you have players who are just simply refusing to play ben simmons refused to play this year james harden forced his way out of multiple cities the last two years Kevin Durant's now trying to force his way out of Brooklyn after signing a four-year contract. Kyrie Irving trying to force his way out from another city. It's not great for the NBA for a number of different reasons. And it's like uh, Louis C.K., the comedian, does that old bit about imagine if adults acted like kids and he would try to go somewhere with his young daughter, but she refused to put her shoes on. They couldn't leave the house because his like four-year-old kid wouldn't put her shoes on. And Louis C.K.'s joke would be imagine if your best friend would do such a thing. You were trying to leave the house to go out for the night, and one of your buddies just he just didn't want to put his shoes on. He refused. You couldn't leave the you couldn't go out because uh, your buddy just didn't want to put his shoes on. It's a similar idea that these players they just they don't want to play. They refuse to play in the games. They want to make the money, don't want to play in the games. And the way that these players have been treated, it's a lot like going back to that kid example. Uh, if you let your kids get away with everything, and then you complain to your friends when they grow up that they're really spoiled kids, like, yeah, well, you're kind of the one to blame for it. That kind of falls on the feet of Adam Silver. Like, what's going on? Adam Silver complaining. I don't really like how these guys are demanding trades and not playing in games and trying to run the league. Well, it's kind of happened under your watch. You've kind of allowed the league to get to this point. And the thing is, no one's forcing said players to sign these deals. And if you don't want to sign a four-year contract in Brooklyn, if you're Kevin Durant, you'd rather go somewhere else, well, you shouldn't have signed the deal to begin with. If you don't want to commit those four extra years to the Nets, don't do it. And instead of trying to force your way out of this contract with little leverage, you could become a free agent much sooner. So that's the thing about LeBron James. We give LeBron James such a hard time for moving around. Never forced a trade, though. He's always done it as a free agent. He's honored his contracts. You may not have liked his decisions or the teams he selected or the fact that he was, we still view it as bailing on a city or bailing on his team, but he honored his commitments the contract. And when he was a free agent, he is free to go wherever he wants. We're seeing it in the NFL as well. You know Devonte Adams, same idea. Honored his commitment. They had to franchise him. He was going to be a free agent. So when he forced a trade out of Green Bay, I know Packer fans are unhappy. Maybe some people who cover the NFL are unhappy that Devonte Adams forced his way out of Green Bay. He did his part. He honored his contract. And now that the contract's up, yes, of course the Packers could franchise tag him, keep him for another year. But they felt like at that part, at this at this point. All right, let's just make him, ha- instead of having an unhappy receiver for a year, let's just give him what he wants and get something for it because he's going to leave a year from now anyways. As opposed to, say, like a Debo Samuel, right? who's only been in the league for three years, still has a year left on the contract, and trying to uh, get what he wants out of San Francisco, a little bit different. When you put in your time, you reach your free agency period, and you can move around. But for these players, a lot of times they want the security of a long-term contract, but they don't want to have to honor said contract by actually playing for that team for those number of years. Right, the NBA players want to have their cake and eat it too. They want the contract and the long-term commitment and all that money, but they don't always actually want to be in that city for those number of years. So we were talking about the other day with Zion Williamson, as he re-upped with New Orleans because it was really the only option he had. But we know if Zion's healthy and he's playing well and the Pelicans – and his eyes aren't treating him right or they're not winning enough, he too will force his way out as well before that contract's up. Because that's what the players can do in the NBA. Now the problem is, uh, well, I mean, this is a problem. We had the quote from uh, anonymous NBA GM the other day that I referenced in which he said, this is the worst thing that has happened for any sport ever. That's paraphrasing. And it's also a little hyperbolic. And he's on the wrong side of this situation. So of course he's going to feel slighted and feel that way. But it's just an example of how the guys in the league view the situation in the nba that when you pit these players against the front offices the front offices feel like they have their hands tied behind their back they have little leverage and then it's not good for the sport either and i would agree with that idea i don't think this is the best thing for the nba as i said on tuesday's show right there's probably more athleticism in the league than there's ever been there's better shooters now than there's ever been you could say maybe more skill i don't know fundamentals are lacking maybe more skill now than ever before more highlights on a night-to-night basis than we've had before in the NBA. And yet, it's, it hasn't been, you know, statistically the greatest period of the NBA. Even just in the 90s, with a bunch of uh, bullies beating up one another in a much more physical game. And Michael Jordan, that was, a much more, uh, that was a much more popular era of the NBA. The 1998 NBA Finals are still the most watched NBA games in the history of the sport. Haven't been able to top it in 25 years. And as much as we wish this wasn't the case, the employees shouldn't be running any sort of company. If you're listening, right, you're probably an employee at a company. Maybe you're fortunate enough to run your own business. And we all think that we know what's best for our industries or our companies or ourselves or our bosses, whatever it may be. But the employee shouldn't be running said company. That's why there are bosses and executives. That's the whole idea. And you work your way up and you put your time in and you have more experience and maybe you're a little bit wiser and you know what to do. The average age of a CEO for the Fortune 500 companies is 57. And it's not 37 in the NBA. There's a reason why the league's best practices shouldn't be to have Kevin Durant make the big decisions for the NBA, or even a Zion Williamson, or Kyrie Irving, who thinks the earth is flat. There's a reason why there's certain guys in a position of power to run the league, like even an Adam Silver. I'm not the biggest Adam Silver fan, but you know what? He's worked in the league for decades. He worked his way up to become the commissioner. He's been in a lot of those meetings and conversations, has made many decisions of what's best for the league. He has an idea of what to do. I may not always agree. Like Rob Manfred, right? I hate most of his ideas. But Manfred certainly has experience working in those executive offices in New York City. He's been in a lot of those conversations. He's been involved in the sport. I don't know if he's the best decision maker. But he's had the experience that maybe it's better off to have him make said decisions as opposed to putting a 30-year-old in charge who doesn't have the experience, hasn't been around the sport, doesn't know the history of the game. But with all that said, you know, the irony in all this is that This may actually be good for the NBA. Good and bad. It may be bad and good at the same time. It's like in Wet Hot American Summer where um, Gene tries to teach the new way and he says, you know, you do have it and you don't have it. You have it and you don't have it at the same time. It's the same idea here in the NBA. Like it's good and it's bad. Because I don't think it's good for the actual sport once we get into the regular season to have guys sit out games, to have Kevin Durant or LeBron James or Kyrie or whoever else, James Harden, moving around. But at the same time, what has everybody been talking about these last couple of weeks? Maybe not in all circles. Maybe not even here on ESPN Radio Charleston at all times. But if you turn on the national media, if you turn on ESPN, the TV channel, if you listen to some other shows like right, Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook, those are the storylines dominating all these shows and media members and the airtime over the past couple of weeks. We got the Kevin Durant news the same day that we got news that college football was falling apart. It was separated by about an hour. It was on a Thursday, two weeks ago today, in fact. And we got the news about uh, the the Big Ten. I think that was during the 1 o'clock hour while we were on the air, and then right before we went off the air in the 2 o'clock hour, we got the news about Kevin Durant demanding a trade. And that weekend, I think more people talked about the Kevin Durant news than the fact that college football was changing for good. Again, not in all circles. Around here, we've been talking more about the college football stuff than the NBA. But in general, throughout the country, I think the NBA has won those headline battles. The NBA offseason is more interesting than the actual regular season. And for a younger generation that's big on social media, I saw an interesting graphic yesterday about the most used websites since 1993. And right now, Google is number one. After that, it's all social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are the next three most popular sites. The NBA does pretty well on those sites with these mock uh, graphics of putting durant and other uniforms and a bunch of people on twitter talking about where's durant going to go and kevin durant's on twitter himself talking back to fans and talking trash and you get that younger generation involved the average fan of major league baseball is 57 years old the average fan of major league of uh, the nba is 37 years old and we also know if we want to get into more demographic talk that on social media, it usually skews a little bit younger. Maybe not Facebook anymore, but Twitter, Instagram, it's a younger audience. And the NBA has always done a good job on social media where Major League Baseball has not. So while it is bad for the NBA, at the same time, it's also kind of good. Because as they say, nope, publicity is bad publicity. People are talking about the NBA all offseason. You go on social media, it's the number one topic for everyone. Talking about where Durant's going to go. Breaking down different tweets and likes and, oh, he stopped following this team and this guy. and Him and Kyrie aren't following each other on Instagram anymore. Because those are the important things in 2022 nowadays. But what's interesting about all this is that what's bad is also good for the NBA. The off season has become more interesting than the actual regular season. We talk more about this drama than we do about game number 37 in an NBA season. And I'm sure there's something to all this that Adam Silver does actually appreciate. That we are talking about the NBA. That there is a focus on the league. That this drama... You know, can be good. Even if it's a bit of a train wreck. There's a reason why Jersey Shore is still on the air. And all these other... Why we've had 10 editions of, like, Mob Wives or whatever it is. Wives of Atlanta. Whatever all these crazy shows are. Because you do love a good train wreck. As a basketball fan and someone who's not into, like, the online gossip and not very big into social media, I'm, I'm not real a real fan of it. I want to see... When I turn the TV on, I want to see the stars out there playing all the games. And I want to see good basketball. But for a certain portion of the fan base... They appreciate this time of year, the player movement, the talk on social media, the speculation, the rumors, the breakdown on ESPN for 24. They're going to talk about it for weeks, and then in the end, Kyrie and Durant probably just going to end up playing in Brooklyn anyways, and we're going to waste all our oxygen worrying about it. But I think the player movement, the bailing on contracts, I don't think it's great for the NBA, I don't think it's great for business. The Nets signed Kevin Durant to this four-year deal with the idea that, hey, we can now promote that we're going to have Kevin Durant for the next four years. And we're going to be able to sell tickets, and we're going to be able to put him on our promotional market, uh, all our promotional things. And we're going to be able to put him up in the building. And then suddenly he says, actually, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me somewhere else. And they're going to trade him for a bunch of draft picks and young players and people who aren't as exciting. And that's probably not great for business either. And that's what the NBA is. It's a business. And Adam Silver works for these owners who, especially in the case of Brooklyn, probably ticked off with the way things are going right now. It's good for the NBA in a sense, but it's also bad. And I think it's the biggest problem the league's facing. Just simply trying to get guys to go play games. They don't want to play on a night-to-night basis. They don't want to play for the teams that they sign up for. Not great. At the NFL, you don't have to worry about that problem because they don't have long-term contracts and they don't have guaranteed contracts for most of these guys. In the NBA, the players are using their power, and I don't think it's the best thing for the league. Adam Silver addressed it. I'm not sure how much he can actually do about it at this point. He's kind of made his bed over time, and now, unfortunately, he finds himself having to Lie in it as well. When we come back, the Atlanta Braves lost that series to the Mets yesterday. It's uh, it's only July. It's still the first half of the season, but it was still an important few games for the Braves, and I'll explain why when we come back. It's the more midday show, right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
4: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
0: On the morrow midday show. <laughs>
1: Coming up, the Braves dropped that series against the Mets. It's still the first half of the season. It's only July. But still, those are important games. We'll get to that here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Plus, maybe the one concern for the Braves. Even when Trent's out of town, we still get that cold play in there as well. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. We'll catch up with Corey McCartney in about 10 minutes to talk more about the first half of the Braves season. Now, the Braves got beat up a little bit yesterday, dropped two out of three against the Mets. Second time they faced the Mets this year. They still have 12 more, ga- 12 more games with the Mets. You don't get too worked up over a series or a couple of games in July. You know, we don't talk a ton of regular season baseball until you get towards the end of the year. But these are, of course, the most important games. I thought for the Mets, I thought they made a statement by winning the series and winning it how they did. To go into Atlanta, the Braves have been playing much better baseball. I thought the Braves were going to win the series. I thought the Braves maybe even could be in first place. That was the talk. Like, oh, here's a chance the Braves could be in first by the end of this series. And Scherzer kind of set the tone Monday night. And the Mets took two out of three, and they did so despite the Braves tossing probably three of their four best starters. In a pitcher's duel, Scherzer out Freed Monday night. And DeGrom wasn't even available for the Mets. And this series, and again, don't want to overreact to something in July, but it could be a glimpse of a concern once we get towards october every run scored in these three games from the braves came on a homer they either homered or they didn't score and this is my concern for the yankees in the AL, and it's been my concern for the yankees in years past and we've seen it play out in the playoffs i know today's game is all about home runs you either strike out walk or hit a homer that's pretty much baseball in 2022 but then once you reach october and i've been saying this for as long as they've been on the air in this market, and even longer. Once you get into October, that's a hard way to try to go win a championship by just simply relying on homers. Because you're facing better pitching, like a Max Scherzer, like a Jacob deGrom, back-to-back nights. The Mets' bullpen has been pretty good this year as well, especially their closer. You're facing the top pitchers in baseball. It's not easy to just hit a bunch of home runs off them or get guys on base before hitting said home runs. It's also a little bit colder in October, so the ball doesn't travel as well. You're facing uh, bullpen arms one after another. The starter will come out earlier. They'll throw everything they got at you. They'll have starters come out of the bullpen. You're facing the best pitching staffs. It's harder to hit home runs. It's colder out. That's more difficult. And then also, just you want to throw in the pressure of the moment. Guys sometimes underperform on the big stage. And we've seen, specifically for the Yankees, year after year after year, hit a bunch of home runs, win a bunch of regular season games, get into the playoffs, and don't do a whole lot. Haven't been to the World Series in 13 years. In fact, I don't have this data in front of me, but I've used it on the show many times. If you go back and look at the last 20 World Series champions, I believe it's only three that were like top five in home runs. And meanwhile, almost all the 20 champions were below the league average in strikeouts. Point being, I know baseball's played nowadays just about the home run, but in order to win a championship, the best teams are still playing. The old school approach, or at least in terms of being able to make contact, put the ball in play, not strike out, and not as reliant on home runs. The Braves lead the league in homers. They're on pace to set a franchise record in home runs. In 2022, doesn't sound like a bad thing. That's why they've been playing such good baseball lately. But then they went up against the Mets in some big games at home. They only scored on home runs. You don't want to overreact to a couple of games in July. It's just a little bit of a a warning or a concern as we get towards October. It's the same idea with the Yankees. I'm not sold. I know the Yankees have this great record. They're going to win over 100 games. They just had a three-game losing streak, almost lost last night to the Reds. But I'm concerned for that lineup. Outside of Aaron Judge, don't have a lot of great hitters this year and very reliant on homers. 54% of the Yankees' runs have scored on home runs. That's a hard way to live. It's just like all the other Yankee teams. You get to the playoffs, it's hard to rely on that. And for the Braves against the Mets, we saw that they only scored in three games when they hit a home run. Which, by the way, we could take in a whole other direction and talk about how bad that is for baseball. I think it's boring. I've been ranting and complaining about this for years. This is a bad brand of baseball baseball was better just 10 years ago that you only score when you hit a home run you're just waiting around hope all right hopefully this guy hits one out of the ballpark i thought the mets made a pretty big statement winning this series on the road why these games are important even in july is because you got to do well against your own division and in this case against the team directly in front of you of course that's captain obvious but these games are worth almost two in the standings compared to when you play the reds or the cubs or somebody else from another division even the dodgers Because when you beat the Mets, of course, you get a win, they get a loss. You make up even more ground in the standings. That's pretty nice. And when you go back and you look in the NL East, the team that did the best against the division won the division every year the past nine seasons. The last time that the team with the best record against the NL East didn't actually win the division was the Braves in 2012. They had the best record against the National League East, won 94 games that year but had to settle for a wild card because the Nationals won the division by winning 98 games. But otherwise, last nine seasons, whichever team does the best against the NL East wins the division. And that's the case for most divisions in baseball because it's very simple. These are the teams you're directly competing with, and if you beat them more than they beat you, you stand a pretty good chance of a better record than them at the end of the year. And the reason why I bring that up is because the Mets have the best record by far against the NL East. In fact, they have the best record against their division than uh, anybody else that plays in the East AL or NL. Even better than the Yankees against their division. The Marlins have a better division against the National League East than the Atlanta Braves. Now, the Braves are 3-4 and four against the Mets, so it's not like they're getting run out of the ballpark every time they face the Mets. They've hung in there. But the team that does the best against their own division usually wins the division. And right now, the Braves have only the third-best record against the NL East, and most of those wins came against Washington. They're 7-2 and two against Washington. The good news is, well, you get to play Washington this weekend four games before the all-star break so they could stock up a few more wins but that's why those games against the Mets even in July are important because when you get to the end of the season and those are that's the team you're directly competing with and you're in a, 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 a hunt until October coming down the home stretch you say man I wish we got a couple of those wins back in the summer that made up a few of these games the Braves are gonna be just fine they're playing good baseball they'll be a playoff team this year they'll probably still win the division but these games whether you play them in July April May August whenever they're the most important you got to do the best against your division if you want to win said division. And so to lose two out of three at home when the Braves have been playing really good baseball, it's not going to ruin their season. It's not going to end things. We're still in July, but those are always big games. And the Mets found the way on the road to take two out of three against a red-hot Braves team. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Braves with Corey McCartney and break down the first half of their season. It's the More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday
0: Show on ESPN Radio.
5: A sailor, say the You're, a fine girl. you're a fine What a good girl. Life you would be. the
1: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio as we head into the final weekend of the first half of the baseball season and then the all-star break coming up next week the home run derby the all-star game we get back to it a week from today with the second half of the season the braves dropping two out of three against the mets and joining us now to talk about the braves is cory mccartney who's written books on the braves covers the braves you can read his work over at batterypower.com follow him on twitter at Corey j mccartney and he's with us now cory good afternoon how are you
6: hey great Luke. how are you doing
1: doing well appreciate the time um you know the yeah. braves uh, let's talk about these last couple games of the mets you never want to overreact to just you know three game series still here in july but the Braves had a bunch of momentum, playing really good baseball. I think some Braves fans were hoping they could be in first place by the time we woke up today. Did you have any takeaways from what we saw these last three days between the Braves and the Mets?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, right? I mean, you have a 14-game winning streak. You go 21-6, and win 29 out of 37 games. You trim that lead from 10 half to just one and a half going into the series. So I think, you know, it's okay to be frustrated, but these teams still have to meet. Uh, Twelve more times, and I think that's maybe the biggest takeaway from this. Right is the fact that you know, this is far from finished. I will say though that you got to consider that this isn't the optimum or maybe even the, the full strength version of what the Mets could li- look like the next time these teams meet. Uh, obviously, Jacob Degrom, you know, is on a, is making his third rehab start today. Uh, you've got Jeff McNeil was out this ser- series, Starling Marte was out this series, so this Mets team is going to be much more at full strength when next time we meet. So I think this was an opportunity. For the Braves to have made a bit of a statement in this uh, in their head-to-head matchups, and I think that's the unfortunate part is that a Mets team that wasn't at full strength, they weren't able to make what was an opportunity for
1: a statement. Yeah, I do agree with you there, and it'll be fascinating as these teams play one another, like you said, twelve more times the rest of the way. Um, before we focus on some in particular, you know, Braves things here. Over the next couple of weeks, I do want to ask just about this turnaround, at least prior to the Mets series. I mean, they're 30-10 and 10 the last six weeks. They have the best record in baseball during that time. So, obviously, the Braves have been playing really good baseball. What have you seen as the biggest difference for uh, the reason why the Braves have uh, kicked it into high gear here the last couple of weeks?
6: I think it's, uh, honestly, I think it's twofold. I think, you know, you've had that rotation has been much more solidified. I mean, certainly Max Freed, you know, outside of that start against Max Scherzer uh, on Monday night has been uh, fantastic. Yeah, he's obviously going to be making a trip to L.A. Uh, here for the All-Star game. Uh, Spencer Strider, you know, since moving into the rotation, has been fantastic. Uh, Charlie Morton, before, you know, again, running into problems against the Mets, uh, he had been really, really good. So I think the rotation has been solidified. I think, you know, Danby Swanson, obviously, since June 1st, has been the most valuable hitter in baseball in terms of fan graph war. And Austin Riley, uh, you know, just keeps bashing baseballs. Uh, you know, he's been uh, under, just playing out of his mind uh, of late. So I think it, it's a lot of those things, right? It was the starting pitching was was fantastic. And there were some key pieces in that order uh, that were uh, major factors. And then one thing that I don't think can be stressed enough, is what Michael Harris II has meant, to solidify that that, offense, that defense in the outfield and allowing guys to slide into more natural positions. So I think those have been the biggest reasons why we saw this team go on the run they went on.
1: Yeah, and with that said, it's also impressive that they're playing this well when Acuna's batting about .225 during this stretch. I know he's coming back from injury, but what have you seen? What, what do you think? Is it just a slump? Is there something off right now with Ronald? What have you seen from Acuna both offensively and defensively lately?
6: I think a lot of it's just the fact that you know, you're talking about a guy who's still you know working his way back. I think when when he went when he went down with the ACL injury last July, you know the thought was of okay, if he gets back by you know, June, I think you you see it as a win. Well, he comes back before that. and you know the thought was, it, it was going to take a full year before you were going to see him fully recovered. So I think a lot of the injuries and stuff, the little you know, tic tac injuries that you've seen along the way with him, have been stuff that goes along with the guy recovering from what he's recovering from in terms of an ACL injury. So, I, you know, I didn't want to put too much on it until we got to that year stamp, that year, that year point. A year later, removed from the injury. So, you know, I, I, obviously he's been back. He's had some great moments. He's been inconsistent. Um, But uh, I think he still brings so much electricity when he is out there. Um, I think going forward, after you've had that time period a year away, I think this is when we kind of start to judge what we see uh, from Acuna uh, this rest of the season.
1: A lot of baseball fans don't like when their players participate in the home run derby. Uh, The numbers, maybe it's just a coincidence, but guys that do play in the home run derby, their OPS, their home run percentage does decrease in the second half of the season. For a guy like Acuna, who's already dealing with this, where are you on the idea of him uh, participating next week in the Home Run Derby?
6: You know, I don't mind it because if you think back to the last time we participated in 2019, you really didn't see a change in his game, right? He wasn't a guy who all of a sudden, you know, was going to start trying to pull the ball. He he hits to all fields in games. He hits to all fields in batting practice, and he to all fields in the Home Run Derby. So I don't anticipate him really changing. Uh, his approach, uh, you know, going into this. So I, I would, I don't really think as, as a guy who's not like a you know a pure quote unquote slugger. I just don't see this being something where you worry too much about what impact that's going to have on his swing in the second half.
1: Talking about the Atlanta Braves with Corey McCartney. Speaking of those home runs, the Braves. Hit more home runs than anybody. They're on pace right now to just barely break their own record for home runs. We saw in this series against the Mets, they only scored when they hit home runs. Is this any reason to, to be concerned with this? You know, we hear this a lot with the Yankees, the team that hits a bunch of homers in the regular season and then can't do it against top-end pitching in the playoffs. The home runs are exciting, but should there be any reason for concern because of all the home runs for their offense?
6: I don't think so because that was really you know what was happening early on with them. Um, you know they were getting a lot of solo home runs. Um, you mentioned a lot of them there against the against the Mets, and there they are on pace to hit two hundred and fifty, breaking that uh, two hundred and forty-nine that was set in twenty nineteen as the franchise record. But. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you would love to see them, you know, be a little bit better with runners in scoring position. Uh, but I think the length of this lineup is, is why you ultimately don't worry about that, because I think they're not in a, a situation where you're only worrying about a couple guys being able to produce within that lineup. They've shown, especially since Harris has come along, you know, how productive they can be one through nine. And um, I think that's why you don't ultimately worry about little lulls like this. The power's there. The guys are going to get on. They're going to score runs and. I mean, they went into this series as the highest scoring uh, offense in the National League since June 1st, so I I think one series where everything comes by home run is something I would get too overly concerned with.
1: Speaking of those home runs for Austin Riley, I think the record is what, Andrew Jones, his 51 homers for the Braves. Uh, Riley's got 25 right now. Do you think Austin Riley, by the end of the year, could uh, set a new record for the Braves?
6: He's got a chance to take down the the first half record, Andres Galarraga at 28, uh, that's the the, uh, the team's record. Um, he's got a nice closing stretch here against the Nationals. They're throwing Annabel Sanchez uh, tonight. He's not pitched in a game since 2010 uh, in the big leagues, and Riley, you know, obviously has been on fire uh, since really since June 30th. And I, I don't know. And talking to him, the All Star snub it doesn't really seem to be something he's too concerned with. But man, it feels like he's taking it out on opposing pitchers. So. Uh, I think he's got a real chance. I think uh, you know, a nice, easy power stroke, I would look for him to key off this weekend in D.C.
1: We've got the um, trade deadline coming up here in a couple of weeks, and obviously even the good teams always look to improve. There's a lot of talk about even what the Yankees are going to do at the deadline. So if you're Alex Anthopoulos, uh, the Braves are playing really good baseball right now. How would you handle the uh, upcoming trade deadline this year?
6: I don't think you're going to see anything as aggressive. I mean, I I can say with certainty, you're not going to see anything as aggressive as what we saw last year, having to remake the entire outfield. Um, They got Kirby Yates starting his rehab assignment, so that's going to give Antopoulos a a couple weeks here to figure out what he wants to do bullpen wise. I really see that being uh, the only thing where I could see them really making a move. I had thought about maybe the the bullpen, the rotation, excuse me, because Ian Anderson had kind of been erratic, but. Um, you, you've got Mike Soroka that you're expecting back at some point. I don't think he's going to be logging five, six innings to start, but um, you, you certainly you know have another piece coming along there. I think if anything happens, it's probably going to be another bullpen arm. I know that's not exciting, uh, but when you get to the point where you're the defending champs and you don't need a lot of things uh, taken care of, that's kind of where you live life is those, those minor adjustments, and I see that being where the Braves are.
1: Braves added, uh, added uh, Robinson Cano this week, which uh, I liked because it's really no risk, potentially some sort of high reward maybe. Um, what do you think for Cano? What, what sort of role or what should Braves fans expect from him? I mean, he's gotten off to a pretty good start this week, but he's 39 years old. What can we realistically expect to get out of Cano here moving forward for the Braves?
6: The one thing I thought was really key from him that first game is he had two hits, and they were 112, and 109 mile per hour off the bat. Those, that's the first time since September of 2019 in a game with two uh, hits of 109 or higher, so um, and Brian Sicker had talked to us Monday before the game that the reports that he and, and Anthopolis were getting was that Cano was looking much smoother, much you know quicker with the bat uh, in the minors the month before uh, they had made that deal for him. So I think they're anticipating that, you know that he's going to be sharing the role with the Orlando Arcia uh, until Albies comes back. But I think anything you get out of him, you mentioned it's extremely low. Uh, Risk here. I mean, the Mets are literally paying the the brunt of that twenty four million dollars salary this season. Um, But I think little little things like that, where you still see the bat speeds there. um, Certainly, you know, there's the guy's been around forever. I mean, you know, Riley was telling us before Monday that just going to him as a resource, he's seen every situation, every pitcher. I mean, there's really nothing that he hasn't dealt with. Um, so I think you know what little offensively you get out of him is is great, and I think you know, obviously he's going to you know provide a resource as an older guy who's been around the game.
1: Talking with Corey McCartney, let me uh, touch on a couple of other things with the Braves before we let you go. Um, you mentioned Dansby Swanson; the year he's having, he's having a career year, going to the All Star game for the first time. A lot of times we see guys play really big in contract years because, of course, they're they're highly motivated. What do you do with Dansby Swanson now if you're the Braves and trying to uh, predict uh, his future?
6: Yeah, it's a tough one, right? I mean, you know, obviously a lot of emphasis put on who represents him. He's an Excel uh, sports management uh, client, the agency that reps Freddie Freeman. That we know how that thing's kind of blown up and everyone's face. Uh, it's going to be tough, I think, for the Braves potentially lose another guy, you know, uh, reps by that same agency. So, I mean, it's going to be an interesting, you know, off season. I mean, Swanson, if you look at Spot Track, where they put his market value, uh, average annual salary, around. Closer to between 22 and 24 million, it's good. it could be a really good shortstop class. Carlos Correa could opt out. You know, there's an option on Tim Anderson. Uh, obviously, you guys, Andrew Bogart. To and me, there, there just could be a, a Trey Turner. I mean, it goes on and on with the amount of guys that are going to be in this shortstop class. But um, to me, I mean, Swanson is a little bit different than Freeman because as much as Freeman was a product of the Braves, you know, Swanson is literally a product of Braves country. A guy who's you know, from Marietta. Georgia, you know, a guy, you know, you walks to the field playing out now, up to that playing Outcast and just, you know, has a brand label called All Things Loyal ATL. I think it would be really difficult for him to leave. I just don't know. I mean, they've never paid more than $23 million a year for a player. So um, this could get really interesting if there's a bidding war for Danby Swanson.
1: You mentioned Freddie Freeman. I, I haven't, we haven't had you on the show since everything went down with Freddie returning to Atlanta and the, him firing his agent and all the, the drama and the headlines. What's your take now, uh, as things have played out these last few few weeks and months since Freeman left the Braves here on July 14th? Looking back, how do you feel about that whole situation now after what transpired a couple of weeks ago in his return to Atlanta?
6: Well, I will tell you the thing I've been most impressed with is the way Matt Olson dealt with all this. I mean, he's you know a very even keel guy. You know, he's very reserved, um, doesn't talk much, but the fact that he's just done his thing, right? I mean, I think he's, he's quietly, you know, keep, kept producing, leads the majors in doubles. I mean, I know it was a really emotional thing to, for everybody to watch, but I, I think, you know, that's, that's the other side of it. I mean, they're still out in L.A. dealing with this. I mean, Freeman's kind of going to war with some columnists out there from the L.A. Uh, media markets. Um, uh, meanwhile, you know, you got medals and just quietly doing his thing, and the fact that he's going to be around for a really long time. Uh, you know, I don't know that the Braves could be asking for a better situation. And obviously, you know, they would have loved to if things have worked out with Freeman. Uh, but, you know, from the, the other side of it, the guy who is here, you got to be pretty happy with the production you're getting.
1: Last thing before we let you go, talking about Corey McCartney. Stepping away from the Braves, this has become a bit of a divisive topic in baseball the last week or two, but this idea of Albert Pujols and even Miguel Cabrera, right, being put into the All-Star Game and then Pujols participating in the Home Run Derby, do you like this idea of, of honoring, you know, a legend or other people feel like, you know, what are we doing? We're kind of uh, not making a mockery, but we're watering down these events by just putting these guys in there at the end of their careers. What are, What's your opinion on the host participation next week?
6: I honestly really like it. I mean, to me, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, all it is is a fan service, right? I mean, if we were really worried about the best players participating in the All-Star Game, we wouldn't even put it in the hands of fans. I mean, I think that's what – I mean, obviously the commissioner is the one pulling the trigger on these two. These are his invitees. He called Pujols and Miguel Cabrera directly to get them uh, these the spots in L.A. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it, 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 it's it's for the fans, and if you want it to be something other than that, then completely make it something other than that. Uh, otherwise, you know, we're just – we're trying to, to honor the game in all its forms by what what players want to see – allowing these guys these last moments in the spotlight. Um, I hope Pools puts on a show in the, in the, the home run derby. He's never wanted to see his sit time in it. He's going to have a lot of really fun, young talent around him. So, uh, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm kind of excited about it.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. He's Corey McCartney on Twitter, at McCartney and read his work at BatteryPower.com as he does a great job covering the Braves. Corey, appreciate the time and all the insight, and uh, we'll catch up with you at some point down the road. All right, thank you. Hey, pleasure's all ours. Corey McCartney talking about all things Braves here as we head towards the All-Star break in the second half of the season. By the way, speaking of that Braves-Mets series, uh, when we come back, something about is kind of anti-baseball and the, the direction that baseball is moving in, or the direction that a lot of people would like baseball to move in. And something stood out how the Braves and Mets are a little bit different, and I think it's a good thing. And I'll explain next. It's the Tomorrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. To
0: the Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Higher
1: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Appreciate the time. Last segment from Corey McCartney, talking all things Atlanta Braves. If you ever miss anything from the show, find it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. You know what I found interesting about the Braves and the Mets getting together this week and it being a big game or a big uh, series, big couple of games for the National League East, is that in the direction that baseball is moving in, with uh, analytics and a younger crowd and younger managers and all this sort of stuff, that when I look at the older managers in the sport, they're doing pretty well. Now, Tony La Russa is a bit of a train wreck, and he's on the hot seat in Chicago, and he's intentionally walking guys during in, the, you know, in the middle of that bats and making all sorts of odd uh, decisions. He's the oldest manager in baseball. He's 77. I think he was legal drinking age when Dodger Stadium opened, and Dodger Stadium's the third oldest stadium in, in Major League Baseball. That's not a joke. I, I believe he was already... Uh, old enough to be able to drink when they open up the third oldest stadium in baseball right now, Larusa is uh, almost 80. Things aren't going well in Chicago, but after that, the next oldest managers in baseball: Dusty Baker, Brian Snicker, Buck Showalter, all leading playoff teams right now. The Astros have been really good against uh, or under Dusty Baker. The Braves obviously have been really good under Brian Snicker, and then the Mets. Have underachieved the last couple of years, so what did they do when they wanted to find a way to, you know, finally piece this thing together? They went out and they got a guy with a lot of experience in Buck Showalter, who is sixty-six years old. You could even say the Yankees are having a great year. Aaron Boone's a younger guy, but you know he's a third-generation big leaguer. His grandfather played; was a man. His father was a manager, and the Yankees are very, you know, they're analytical. That's what Brian Cashman has done. He's changed his ways, but still, you have a guy there that has a lot of experience in just being around the game. You know, knows the game of baseball, can trust his gut. But with all this talk about, you know, younger managers or the way baseball's changing or it's being ruled by computers and the front office and guys who never played the game, I was watching Mets-Braves thinking, you know what? These two teams are having really good years. They're being led by these old-school, older managers. And three, if we exclude Tony La Russa, the three oldest managers are leading three of the best teams in baseball. As I always say, experience is the most important thing. There's something, there's, there's something to be said for experience. It's hard to duplicate or try to replace. You can give me all your numbers and computer stats you want, but when you got a guy in Buck Showalter that's been in that dugout for 40 years, you know that can be pretty impactful. Hour two coming up next. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
0: WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234 CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Yes,
5: it's back, 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 back again. again, again. back, 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 tell a friend. Guess who's back, guess who's back, guess who's back, guess who's back, guess who's
1: back, guess who's back, guess who's back, guess who's back? Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up. Some takeaways from uh, the Big 12 media days getting underway this week. Plus, I did a bad job yesterday. I didn't pay off a tease. I completely forgot about something I was supposed to get to yesterday. We got distracted. We were talking about all sorts of other things. We had so much going on. So I have to pay it off in just a little bit. We know quarterbacks are crucial to your favorite football team, but they're also evidently crucial to your own personal health as well, and I'll explain why in just a little bit. Plus, we'll throw it back on a Thursday and reminisce a little bit and a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. With you till 3 on this Thursday. If you miss anything from the show, you can always find it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And the podcasts are also available online at SportsRadio.com. Closing out last hour, I was talking about experience for baseball managers. And how we're moving in this direction of uh, it's not so much about the manager anymore. It's really more about the front office and the analytics and the numbers. And if you listen to the show, you know I'm as analytical as they come. But there's still something to be said for experience. And I gave you the examples of Brian Snicker and Buck Showalter. I completely forgot to mention the fact that the Padres are another team much like the Mets. The Mets hired a young manager who, you know, is a real players guy, players like him. Things didn't go very well. Team underachieved the last couple of years. So they got rid of him, replaced him with Buck Showalter. Now the Mets are having a pretty good year. Padres did the same thing. The Padres had all that talent. They were underperforming the last couple of years. They fired their manager, Jace Tingler, who was in his 30s when they hired him. Player manager, even though he threw, uh, who was a Tatis Jr. under the bus. Um, and then they replaced him with Bob Melvin, who's been a manager for 20 straight years. He's in his 60s. So, you know, there's something to be said about experience. The Padres are having a much better year uh, so far than the last couple when they really uh, seem to underperform. So there's something to be said about experience. And, you know, even though baseball's moving in this direction of analytics and computers and the front office making a lot of decisions, you look at some of the experienced old-school baseball guys that have been in those dugouts for a long time, they know what they're doing, and their teams are having pretty good years. At least outside of Tony Larusa, that's a whole other story and a bit of a train wreck. And he shouldn't have been, never been hired in the first place, just because he's, you know, still good friends with the owner. We know that rarely works out when you hire friends, and especially when that friend is uh, almost 80 years old and was out of baseball for over a decade. And it's like, yeah, you know, probably not a great move, I'm trying to reenact what happened back in the 80s, 40 years ago. It's my pet cemetery theory. You always want your pets to come back until they come back, and now they're, you know, they're haunted and they're evil and they're torturing you. Like Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, You want Tony La Russa to come back? You think it's going to be just like when you were winning a bunch of baseball games 40 years ago. Oh, now it's, it's a lot worse. You can never get back the, uh, that original magic. And the White Sox are finding that out the hard way. Hey, the Big 12 uh, kicked off their media days. So, you know, they're first up. It's going to be interesting with all the moving around in college football and everything with the realignment to see how things go with these media days, to have these coaches have to talk to the media. You'll hear from, you know, the commissioners, obviously players. South Carolina's not taking Spencer Rattler with them. I'm surprised. But, you know, maybe he doesn't want to throw him into the fire a little bit. Let him continue to get his feet wet and ease himself into uh, his role as the starting quarterback for the Gamecocks. He won't be at SEC Media Days, which are, what, next week? Big 12, we're, were uh, first up, and of course this time of year we're dying for college football or just any type of football info and storyline. So a lot of eyes on the Big 12, especially with what has been transpiring here these last couple of weeks with the Pac-12, losing a couple of teams, and the moving around in college football. Let's first hear from the commissioner of the Big 12. This is Brett uh, Yorkmark. He's new. All right, he just replaced Bob Bowlsby. So talk about a tough situation to step into where you're about to lose Texas and Oklahoma, and it's on you, Brett, to uh, try to you know keep the Big 12 afloat. Pac-12's losing teams. Reports are Pac-12 teams are not interested in joining the Big 12 because they see that as a, a step down, which I don't agree with. But it's not like you're taking over the SEC right now when they're adding team, Right, you're, you're taking on water as the Big 12. Here comes Brett Yorkmark, who is not working in college sports. Anyways, here's what Brett said at the uh, Big 12 Media Day yesterday about the idea that the conference is open for business. Here's their new commissioner.
3: We're exploring all options, and we're open for business. And optionality is good, and we're vetting through all of them. I think it's fair to say I've received a lot of phone calls, a lot of interest. People understand the direction of the Big 12, and we're exploring those levels of interest. Nothing is imminent. But we're working hard to make sure that we position the Big 12 in the best possible way on a go-forward basis.
1: New commissioner of the Big 12. Now, he's trying to put a positive spin on it. Of course. I mean, that's his role. It's kind of like when your buddy gets dumped and he says, you know, no, no, this is a good thing. right?" Because I, I got to I gotta work on myself. I, I, I could be, I need some alone time anyways. Now, you try to put a positive spin on it. You try to cheer up your buddy through the tears, right, or you try to put a positive spin on it for your buddy. Yeah, you're better off on your own. Now you can stay up as late as you want. You have no worries. You can play more video games. That's a great thing, right? You try to put a positive spin on whatever your buddy's dealing with. That's Brett Yorkmark. But I will say there is something to that. I mean, it's not ideal. You'd rather be taking over the SEC in the position they're in right now than the position the Big 12's in right now. But there is something to this idea of, hey, he can come in and and try to put his his stamp on it. I mean, if you want a challenge, here's a challenge as a commissioner for both the Pac-12 and their new commissioner and the Big 12. Just like I'll bring it to my industry. You could either go to a radio station that is already you know a flamethrower and you're just another guy, or you go to a radio station that's trying to uh, build its market, and you could be the, you, they could build around you could be the star, you could be the big voice of this new station that if you do well it could take off the idea of like a big fish in a small market or vice versa. Do you really want to go in there and have a big impact and put your spin on it? Or do you want to go somewhere where it's ready-made and you're just stepping into a role and you're just another uh, person in the in the building? You know, for Brett Yorkmark, like this is the opportunity. You come in and you could be the you could be the savior. You turn around the Big Twelve. You get them back to where they were just within the last couple of years after losing Oklahoma and Texas. So I mean, it's a tough job, not an easy job, but it is an opportunity for a guy to go in there and really make his mark. No pun intended, because that's part of his last name. Yorkmark can really. Make his mark in the Big 12 now running this conference. It's not going to be easy, but you have that opportunity. The Big 12, not as bad as the Pac-12, but at this point they're a little bit like uh, that guy at the bar at the end of the night. He struck out with a few women throughout the night, and he's getting really desperate and a little lonely, and the bar's closing, and he's going around just trying to take anybody back home with him. A little bit like the B- Big 12 and the Pac-12 right now. And they just, uh, you know, Now the Big 12, they are going to be adding other teams. pac is a little more desperate. But those are the the conferences right now that uh, you know we're getting towards last call. You haven't found that lucky lady just yet. You're a little lonely, and you're hoping somebody before the bar closes is going to be desperate enough to uh, join forces with you and and uh, go back home with you. If we were to power rank conferences, obviously the SEC, right? Let's divvy them up. This is how I put them in tiers: the SEC and the Big Ten in Tier One, the ACC in Tier Two, the Big Twelve and the Pac-12 in Tier Three. Now, with that said, in Tier 1, the SEC is still above the Big Ten, regardless of what Keyshawn Johnson and others may feel. Just because the Big 12, or I should say the Big Ten, has added uh, USC uh, USC, and uh, UCLA, that's not enough to bump them ahead of the SEC with how dominant they've been over the past uh, two-plus decades. Then you get to that middle tier that's right now a little bit like purgatory. right? The SEC and the Big Ten, maybe forgive the analogy, but You know, that's like that's uh, that's the heaven. They're they're doing really well. Clemson's in the purgatory, or I should say, the ACC, but same idea. Clemson, the ACC, it's all the same. They're in uh, purgatory because they don't know like what's coming next. Are we going to be poached? Are we going to have to add some teams? Can we get Notre Dame in here? What's the future of the ACC? We don't really know. It's like when you watch that horror film. What is scarier, the actual kill scene? Or the suspense leading up to it, when the person's running through the field and the murderer's chasing them, right? For you, what has more tension? What stresses you out more? I think it's the the buildup, the chase. Just like that's the ACC right now, the Pac-12, the Big 12, they've been delivered their their death blow. The ACC right now, they're kind of being pursued, they're being chased by Jason Voorhees, and you're sitting at home wondering, like, how's this gonna end? When is it gonna end? Is he gonna jump out from behind this tree? Is she safe? Should she go into the lake? What's going to happen? That's the ACC right now. The Big 12, the Pac-12, they know their future. They're in big trouble. The ACC, eh, not really sure. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen. They're in purgatory. They're trying to figure out which way they're going to go. Is somebody going to come along and pluck Clemson and Miami, putting them down in hell? Are they going to add Notre Dame and try to keep up with the other two conferences, kind of boosting them up towards the heaven part of this analogy? And then you get to hell, which is the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Now, with that said, I would put the Big 12 ahead of the Pac-12 because the Big 12 at least already came up with their response. They had a little more time to prepare for this. Right, Oklahoma and Texas made their announcement almost a year ago, and they came up with their plan B already of adding some other schools. The Pac-12 right now, they're just trying to tread water for the time being and come up with that plan B. Which, by the way, is really how college football... Already, like, If we were doing this exercise 15 months ago before any of the realignment news, it'd be the same way. The SEC has been number one, followed by the Big Ten. The ACC has always been kind of stuck in the middle of, well, we have Clemson, but not much else. And then Pac-12 is always last. And we could probably debate Big 12 versus the ACC, but I think because of Clemson, I put the ACC third and then the Big 12 fourth. So really, not a whole lot has changed in the hierarchy of college football in terms of the, the rankings, but the gaps have probably grown even more. The SEC and the Big Ten better off and the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are a bit uh, more of a disaster right now. Here is Mike Gundy. Uh, I don't know how many coaches spoke yesterday, but Gundy is the one that made all the headlines as he typically does. I actually am a Mike Gundy fan. I like him. I think he says some interesting things. He's clearly outspoken. We all know about the I'm a man, I'm 40 I'm type of speech. Here was Gundy. A couple of clips from him yesterday um, talking about um, this whole situation. This first clip Mike Gundy talks about, should Oklahoma and Texas be in our meetings right now? What are we doing here? Here was Gundy yesterday.
4: It's interesting. We go to conference meetings, and OU and Texas are in there. They're still in the conference. Um, But I'm guessing when they leave, they're scratching down things that could help them with their next season. So it is an unusual situation. Uh, I think there's a business side of it that days, people say it is what it is, which 10 years ago, yeah. they might not even let them in the meetings. Right. I think the world's changing, and people are like, yeah, they made a business, and uh, so, you know, the new commissioner, I mean, if I see him, I wouldn't let OU in Texas in any meetings.
5: <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> For real.
4: I mean, I, 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 I'm see a friend of mine. Del Conte's a friend of mine. I don't, they may be taking notes and running over here and telling them. Absolutely. I don't know what they're doing. You know, I mean, uh, but more importantly, I, I, they know I, what the Big 12 is doing. I say that jokingly, but I mean, so if you're strategically in a business meeting uh, and you're in the same, um, if it's two cell phone companies, I don't want somebody from their company and my company, if I have new software and new technology, I don't want them to go develop it. I want to develop it. So, you know, I I say that kind of jokingly, but really it's almost business as usual. Everybody gets along and they don't worry about it.
1: Mike Gundy yesterday. By the way, was that interview done like in a boiler room? What was going on there? Well, it was all the noise. The next clip we have is a little better audio. We'll get to that in a moment. But I think Mike Gundy's spot on. He's right. Oklahoma and Texas, you made the decision to leave this conference. I know you're still a member of this conference for the next, what, two years? I would say, you know, SOL, you're not allowed. We're not going to listen to your, you know, you have no say in these decisions. We're not going to, why should we listen to you? You're on your way out. And by the way, you're not going to steal our ideas and take them with you to the SEC or tell the SEC, like, hey, here's what they're planning over here. I agree with Mike Gundy. Texas and Oklahoma should not be allowed in these meetings. I wouldn't allow them. You want to say that's being petty? No, I think it's being smart. You know, we're seeing pettiness from uh, the world of golf, of golf where, like, Mickelson and these guys, these lift golfers were complaining. They were given bad tee times this weekend. They weren't included in some of the media, the press. They feel like they're on the outside looking in. And maybe that's petty, but I also kind of agree, like, hey, you made your bet. You this is what comes with it made an unpopular decision oklahoma and texas i mean you bailed in your conference you sold them down the river you threw them under the bus whatever phrase you want to use it really screwed over these other schools especially oklahoma state where i mean Oklahoma's they're kind of like their sister school their rivals and they're leaving without you they bail they don't care about you i agree with mike gundy why should they be in the meetings listening in it'd be like if you gave your two-week notice however you're leaving for the direct rival is your boss like he's only here for two more weeks Why should we even have him in the meetings? And especially if you're off to the rival in two weeks, absolutely your boss wouldn't want you in on those meetings. You're just going to steal all those ideas and take them with you. So I agree with Gundy, which is what's so awkward about all this. It's like uh, being separated or divorced but living in the same house. In fact, there was a great movie in the 80s, The War of the Roses, with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, which was exactly about that. And I've referenced this film whenever we've talked about this. You don't say like, eh... We're going to get divorced, but officially in three years. And then you have to coexist for the next three years. Now, that could be a little awkward. That's uh, The War of the Roses was a great movie. Danny DeVito's movie in the 80s. Kathleen Turner. By the way, right? Kathleen Turner, she's had some health issues, so it's a real shame. But, man, back in the 80s, she was in some great films, and she was one of the it girls back then. You wouldn't know it now if you're of a certain generation and you're watching her, and even in Friends, 20 years ago as the cross-dresser. Uh, right? A little bit different she was a great actress back in the 80s that was a good movie but the two of them hated one another and tried to live under the same roof and it obviously didn't go well go watch the film for yourself the war of the roses same idea here and these sides are like divorce but they're still trying to live in the same house and they don't like each other texas and oklahoma just just bailed on all these schools and they're not happy with them and yet they got to sit together around the, the table and discuss the future of the big 12 a conference that these two teams are these two schools are leaving anyways And Gundy's saying, you know, I'm kind of joking, but it shouldn't be a joke. He's speaking the truth there. It's a bit awkward. Here was also Mike Gundy uh, in regards to the future of uh, the rivalry with Oklahoma and also how all this has affected recruiting so far for Oklahoma State. Here was Gundy yesterday.
4: Well, the the future in Bedlam is uh, is a year or two left. I mean, that's the future of Bedlam um, based on somebody else's decision. Recruiting for us. Hasn't really changed a lot, you know. It's interesting with with young people now. Uh, it, I, I'm, I'm not sure. You, you you might be able to take a poll of the top 250 300 recruits in the country, and ask them if they know. For example, you could throw out um, what conference is Purdue in, or what conference is um, Wake Forest in, and. I would say there's about a 50% chance they might not even know what the conference is. Um, young people live in certain worlds today, and um, essentially they want to know what you as a university and athletic department, as a football team and a coach, can do for them. That's, that's what they're interested in. So if, other than that, our recruiting hasn't really changed
1: since those, since the uh, conference realignment. Gundy yesterday. I, I don't know if I fully buy that. Look, people may not know what conference different teams are in now because of all the moving around. But in terms of recruiting, maybe it hasn't played a big role in it yet. It's almost like if you, um, you know, there's a concern about a, a company's future. The company's doing pretty well, but there's a concern. You may not sell the stock immediately. You may not have the foresight to be like, oh, I, I have to bail on this before things start to tank. And then once the stock starts to drop, then maybe that's the wake-up call. Like, oh, yeah, I definitely need to sell this. That could be the Big 12. We're like, right now, yeah, you still have Texas, Oklahoma. We haven't seen these changes yet, so you're still doing okay. But it may impact recruiting a couple of years from now for Mike Gundy. When you go into those rooms, they're like, what? oh, you're in the Big 12? Yeah, no no, thanks. Wait, who do you guys play? Oh, you don't have Texas or Oklahoma anymore? I, I, do, I do think it'll play a role. And the SEC certainly is that conference that I think that's the one most notably that people want to be in. They may not be turned off by the big 12 but i don't know if it turns them on like the sec would the opportunity oh yeah like i want to go play in the sec i don't think people say that about the Pac 12 the big 12 even the big 10 i don't think you say like oh i can't wait to maybe if you grew up in that area but i don't think it has the same cachet as the sec where that is a real calling card to perform against the best in the sec has it affected recruiting so far well we haven't really seen the impacts of it they're still in the conference oklahoma and texas big 12's still doing okay give it a couple years and then we may see a difference And that's kind of like what Nick Saban was saying uh, yesterday in the idea of the haves and the have-nots in college football, that this is only going to further separate these conferences and these schools. Like, good luck to Kansas football already is struggling. Now, fast forward three years from now where they're in the Big 12, where you don't have Oklahoma or Texas. The gap is only larger. How is Kansas going to exist or survive when it comes to football? Some of these other schools that already are struggling to begin with. And then you're going to be in the lowly Pac-12. or You're going to be even more of an afterthought. You're not even going to have that to try to sell a recruit on. Like, hey, we play at Texas and Oklahoma. Now it's like, hey, the big game is when we play Oklahoma State. Nobody cares. So you may not see that impact yet on recruiting, uh, but I think there will be. But the first point that um, Gundy said in that clip is true. I mean, you're losing that rivalry, and that's uh, one of the shames, real shames of all this. Is with all the moving around in college football, we're losing one of the best things about college football. We're going to lose these rivalries. We've already lost some in recent years, and we're going to lose more moving forward. Hey, Trent, uh, Trent's out of town. Anderson's on the ones, ones and twos. Do you know if I if I were to quiz you, do you know where all the schools are in each conference in, in college sports?
2: Uh, I would I would I would get most of them, I think. Um, yeah, probably probably miss a couple, but uh, yeah, I think I'd get the majority.
1: Now it's our job to pay attention. But I'll tell you what, with them, I, I don't know. Like when isn't Cincinnati going to the Big Twelve? I, I don't know when that actually happens.
2: I think it's twenty twenty
1: four. Okay. I think
2: uh, I'll have to fact check myself, but uh, yeah, it's pretty soon here.
1: I'll take your word for it. See, that's where I'll get tripped up. Yeah. Like I, where since I don't know where where are they playing for the time being. Uh, where, where, where? When are they going to be in the Big Twelve? Who else is joining the Big Twelve? I don't even know who else. I know they have teams. They got like four teams coming to the Big Twelve to replace Oklahoma and Texas. I don't even know who they are. So that's where you could confuse me. But I think kids are paying attention enough that they know where certain schools are, who they play against, what conferences they're in. Hey, when we come back, uh, I uh, have to pay off the tease all the way from yesterday. I did a poor job. It's uh, probably rule number one in sports talk radio that you always pay off the tease, and I, I failed to do so yesterday. When we come back, quarterbacks we know are incredibly important to your football team, also evidently very important to your own personal health as well. And we'll get to that coming up. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now
0: back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
1: The Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, I have to pay off a tease all the way from yesterday. It's one of the things. See, uh, they always say like um, the smartest people know what they uh, know what they don't know. Something along, along those lines. You always have to know your own weaknesses. I've always said the two things that uh, on the Morrow Midday Show we could struggle with at times. We have the clock management of Will Muschamp, where we uh, get behind the chains from time to time and go long in certain segments, and then you have to make up some time in another segment, and, you know, we don't really stay on schedule. That's okay, at least for me. The producers may not like it, but that's how we do the show around here. And the other thing, too, is uh, paying off a of tease. It's one of the most important uh, uh, rules in sports talk radio. If you're going to tease something, you got to get to it. And I did not get to this yesterday. So let that be a lesson, that if you're ever going to tease something in uh, in this industry, make sure you pay it off. Yesterday I was talking about quarterbacks are incredibly important for your team, but also of course, for your own personal health as well. And I'll explain why in just a moment. ESPN.com has been putting out this list of top 10 quarterbacks or well, top 10 players at all their different positions. Today's tight ends, tomorrow's offensive tackles. Yesterday we were talking about their list of wide receivers. By the way, when it comes to tight ends, George Kittle was number one, followed by Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller was number three. It's a top 10 ranking based off of 50 league executives, coaches, scouts, and players And they're doing it at all, um, or I shouldn't say all, but they're doing it for 11 uh, different positions. Kyle Pitts slots in at number five. All 50 people voted Pitts in the top ten. That probably shouldn't be much of a surprise. And his highest ranking was the third best tight end in the league. Tight end's one of those positions where there's only a handful of really good tight ends in the league, like game-changing tight ends. Kyle Pitts should be one of those. In fact, there's probably only five of them, the top five. right, Kittle. Kelsey, Waller, Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts. That's probably it. Six on their list is Dallas uh, Goddard at the Eagles. <clears throat> He's not really a huge, impactful tight end. But we were talking about the quarterback list the other day in the top ten quarterbacks. If I were to guess which of the young quarterbacks could be the first on that list, because none of the uh, just drafted quarterbacks from a year ago, Trevor Lawrence's class, Crack the top ten or honorable mention or even got a vote. I think long term, Trevor Lawrence is still the safest bet to have the highest ceiling of this group. I do like Justin Fields. I don't like what the Bears are doing for him. I have a lot of questions about Trey Lance, but he is in a good situation. Zach Wilson, people are more proud of what he's done off the field than what he's done on the field these days. And I really don't trust the Jets either. I shouldn't have much trust in the Jaguars, but Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be this generational talent, and I do like Doug Peterson coming in for that quarterback. So if we're trying to predict the future, I still believe down the road, Trevor Lawrence still has the highest ceiling of the group. One bad year as a rookie with a bad team, a coach that didn't belong, doesn't change that. He is still this quote-unquote generational talent, the next Peyton Manning and Dan Marino. And that's still you know That skill set, that ability is still there. I think Doug Peterson will help unlock it moving forward however in the immediate future i think maybe mac jones in large part because of his surroundings in new england now i'm very concerned with bill belichick not giving him a true quarterback coach and offensive coordinator and they really don't have a ton of big-time playmakers for him on offense but of those young quarterbacks who could crack the top 10 list first i mean mac jones was already the best of the bunch last year if he's the better quarterback of the five this year as well right he's moving in that direction but long-term, down the road, I still think Trevor Lawrence has the highest ceiling of those quarterbacks. That when we do a top-ten list, maybe, I don't know, five years from now, Lawrence has the best chance of those quarterbacks to still be in that top-ten. I also like Justin Fields. Don't like. See, that's the thing. I don't like the, what, what the Patriots are doing for their young quarterback. Don't like what the Bears have done to try to help out their young quarterback. The Jaguars are at least doing things by bringing in wide receivers and Doug Peterson to help out Trevor Lawrence uh the 49ers just have a great system that putting trey lance in would be a huge help but i don't really like how they're handling this offseason right now uh, juggling him and garoppolo and zach wilson the jets are trying but there's just so many questions around the jets and zach wilson himself of trying to turn him into a star quarterback but how about this for a ranking or a listing the five fattest cities in the country the five unhealthiest cities in america we were talking about uh, the most unattractive states a couple of weeks ago with that study that was done this is a little bit different but the most uh, unhealthy cities in the country and there's a reason why i relate this to uh the quarterback talk because let's look at this list number five is toledo ohio fifth fattest unhealthiest city in the country well what's the closest football team and the browns aren't too far from toledo And Cleveland has had some real quarterback issues in recent years. They haven't had a good quarterback in a long time. Then they thought they had one with Baker Mayfield. He's been up and down. Now he's off the team. You bring in Deshaun Watson. You're excited about that. But then, oh, he's got 24 lawsuits hanging over his head. And the Browns as a team, of course, haven't been great. So fans, even as far as the Toledo area, maybe are eating their feelings throughout the football season. Number four on this list, Detroit. Of course, you have the Lions. And the Lions had Matt Stafford, at least they had a talented quarterback, but couldn't put enough pieces around him in recent years now. He wanted out. He goes off to L.A., wins a Super Bowl right away, and you're stuck with Jared Goff. And you won, what, three games last year, and their favorites only uh, win a couple of games this year? And the Lions have been a poor organization, but in the last couple of years, it's been a stressful last 12 months. You see Matt Stafford go off and win a Super Bowl with somebody else immediately, and you're picking towards the top of the draft. Lions fans have been eating their feelings, I'm sure, for years. Number three on this list, we finally get towards the South. Memphis, in terms of fattest cities in the country. Well, closest team is the Titans. Did you watch Ryan Tannehill throw three interceptions in that playoff game? The Titans, since Steve McNair, haven't had a good quarterback. And when you thought it was Vince Young, yeah, he didn't really work out in the NFL. And then you had to go to Kerry Collins for a period of time there. And now you get Ryan Tannehill, and uh, things are going okay. And then you get to the playoffs last year. He throws three interceptions. They had to draft a quarterback. Not a great quarterback hotbed in the NFL either. And those Titans fans in Memphis with all the great food around, they're eating their feelings as well. Number two the fattest cities in the country, Indianapolis. Well, the Colts, of course. I mean, you have Peyton Manning. Then you had Andrew Luck. But this list is not from 10 years ago. This is right now, today, the fattest cities in the country. Well, because for the Colts, They've had a different starting quarterback five straight years. They've been trying to replace Andrew Luck for five years. They can't do it. Whether it's Jacoby Brissett or it's uh, you have to uh, resort to washed-up Phillip Rivers and then Carson Wentz and now Matt Ryan at 39 years old. It's been very stressful. Stressful times for these Colts fans. They, too, have been eating those feelings. They have been underperforming in recent years. And then number one on this list, surprisingly enough, of the fattest cities, Las Vegas. Las Vegas is surprising because it's so transient. Do people even live there? Right, everyone's coming and going. Do you count all the tourists that pour in for the uh, obese factor of Las Vegas? They now do have a football team in the Raiders. You have Derek Carr. All right, maybe that's a little bit stressful because Carr uh, is um, kind of stuck like in that Kirk Cousins territory where he's good. He's going to win you some games. not good enough to take you where you want to go. It can be frustrating. But I think the bigger issue is just all the gambling losses. And that's why uh, more food's consumed in Las Vegas, evidently, than any other city. Because the one thing that will trump frustrating quarterback uh, deals, frustrating quarterback situations, is losing money at the slot machine or the craps table, your gambling losses, or betting on your favorite team and having them break your heart in the fourth quarter. So when you look at the five fattest cities, I'll be honest with you, I thought they'd all be southern cities because uh, the states, when you talk about the most obese states, they're usually all Southern. South Carolina thinks they the 11th most obese or 14th. We're in the top 15. Uh, But in terms of cities, just cities, not the state, Toledo, Detroit, Memphis, Indianapolis, Las Vegas, four of them have had some quarterback problems the last couple years, and the number one has had some gambling problems for anybody that goes there since the start of time. So what have we found out? Quarterback play is not only good for your football team, it's good for your health as well. And with that said, don't gamble because that's the only thing worse than watching the Browns shuffle through a bunch of terrible quarterbacks is your gambling losses. So based off of this uh, list, I can uh, come to the conclusion that quarterback play, bad quarterback play, and gambling are some of the worst things for your health that leads to the most obese cities. You know, um, like uh, St. Petersburg, Tampa Bay, they're not on this list. they got Tom Brady. They love their bratwurst up in the Green Bay area milwaukee they're not on this list they got aaron Rodgers. they don't need to eat their feelings every sunday and monday and throughout the week i'm not as passionate now as i once was but let me tell you when my minnesota vikings would lose i'd ruin the whole week you're still eating those feelings on friday you're upset it ruins the whole week for you right but these teams that have these court patrick mahomes they got great barbecue in that area i don't see kansas city on this list because they got patrick mahomes they're feeling good you don't eat as much after a heartbreaking loss you're celebrating when you have a good quarterback, apparently your city's not as obese. Hey, when we come back, it's a, a throwback Thursday. We'll throw it back. And uh, we'll also um, we'll reminisce about some things and uh, find out how much Anderson knows about, I guess, maybe my childhood. I don't know. Things gone by. I'll explain next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now
0: back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
1: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Every time it comes on, I'll tell you, I'm a big fan. I love some good ABBA, or ABBA, whatever it is, however you say it. This is a great song. Maybe a guilty pleasure. That's a great song right there. Now, I, uh, I, I know somebody who uh, covered the Olympics way back when. It must have been in the 80s. And I don't remember where the Olympics were. It was in another country. And all the media members would go to the same bar, you know, at the end of the day and they were all in there having their drinks at the end of the day after covering the Olympics, and there was one media member from Sweden who kept playing, I think it was that song, it was a particular song by ABBA, over and over again on the jukebox. Just kept playing it, kept putting however much it was back then, a quarter, maybe a dollar, who knows, they kept putting coins in the jukebox, kept playing the same song over and over, and you have people from all different countries, media members, covering the Olympics that are in this restaurant, and the one guy from Sweden keeps playing his favorite ABBA song over and over. He's a big fan. And eventually somebody got up from another country and uh, smashed the jukebox, as the story goes, and told the guy enough of the ABBA, right, and got in his face, started yelling at him. And a fight almost broke out. It was almost an international war with all these media members from different countries trying to cover the Olympics and being stuck listening to ABBA. So uh, this guy I used to uh, work with, old school broadcaster who had uh, a good career, Anytime he heard Abba, he would always think he hated them. He would always think of that night when he was stuck listening to uh, probably that song, probably Dancing Queen, over and over again at the bar when they're just trying to unwind after a day covering the Olympics 40 years ago. Meanwhile, for me, I'm quite a fan. I enjoy it. Hey, it's a throwback Thursday. We like to reminisce here on the show. Now, Trent, our usual – around this time each and every day we do Trent's takes. Trent is out of town, uh, taking some much-deserved time off this weekend. So we have Anderson – running the show instead and he's been doing a fantastic job as uh the producer on the steel wheels but i figured in 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 in, uh substitution of trent's takes on a throwback thursday let's reminisce because there's this thing going around online it's called the gen x bingo card i don't think this applies to generation x generation x is born if you're born between 1965 and 1980 so if you're 40 to 55 i think that's too old for this but most of these things i remember from my childhood. We're also going to put Anderson to the test to see how many of these things he's familiar with as well. From the Gen X bingo card, this is going to be uh, in substitute of uh, Trent's takes on a throwback Thursday. We have some music for this as well. And let's run through some of these. i tell you what, I think I would get bingo because I know most of these. Number one, do you ever have to use a card catalog in the library? I did not. I can't say that I have do you even do you, have you how much time have you spent in a library?
2: <laughs> honestly probably less than 24 hours I used to go like maybe when I was like a young elementary school or like second third grade go a couple times but it's not very much time honestly
1: I've used a cart I have used a card catalog that was earlier on in my schooling we had to use that I'm very familiar with that whole system and then of course computers took over but I tell you what like in college I mean I was number one to study I'll be honest with you I stopped studying in college and uh, still did okay. I, I, I went to the library probably twice in college and was never to get a book. You'd go there for some quiet time. You'd do some of your studies or whatever else. you go to the top floor. But it was never to. I never used a card catalog or had to get a book in college. I don't think high school either. I went to the high school library once or twice only. A card catalog. You're uh, If you're old enough, you may remember having to use that. Have you ever worn a flannel shirt over a band T-shirt? I have not. I've worn
2: it over a white T-shirt, like a plain, plain white T-shirt. That's close enough. Yeah. yeah.
1: This is kind of the look of the 90s. I don't think I've ever actually done the flannel over a band shirt. I have plenty. I'm actually wearing a band T-shirt right now, Steely Dan shirt. Uh, I, uh, have pl- I have plenty of flannels, plenty of – by the way – When Trent's here, he'll wear flannels like in the summer he wears flannels around this time. I I love flannels, but only when it's cold out. I don't know what you're doing wearing them in the summer. (laughs) But that's an old school, you know, 90s thing, flannel over the uh, band T-shirt. Next one, have you ever called a 1-900 hotline?
2: Have not. Have not. What what are those even for?
1: So I I have to plead ignorance. I'm Googling it right now. I have not. I don't know if those are like the, uh, the naughty phones or... Apparently it's from the 80s, and it could be anything like uh, fan hotlines. You could call Corey Feldman's fan hotline from the 80s. That predates me. I I never call the 1-900 number either. So I don't check that box. Have you ever drank the original Crystal Pepsi? I haven't. Is
2: that still around? I don't think so. Yeah, I doubt it.
1: I have to Google this one, too. I'm not familiar with Crystal (laughs) Pepsi. Oh, it's it's, uh, Clear Pepsi. I never had this, no.
2: Oh, actually, I, I haven't had it, but I remember they brought it back a couple years Did ago. They? Yeah, just, like, briefly. It was maybe, like, a summer thing, but uh, I remember seeing it. I never had it, though.
1: Yeah, what's the idea? Is it supposed to taste like Pepsi? It's just clear? Or is it supposed to be, like, uh, their version of, of Sprite? I
2: think that it tastes exactly like Pepsi. Like, that's the whole shtick. It's like, I, I don't know. It was weird.
1: Yeah, it looks weird. looks like uh, Propel water. Yeah. But obviously it would taste like Pepsi. I've never had it. Not familiar. Uh, have you ever had to fish for a toy out of a cereal box I have not not. I've never went for by the way what's your favorite are you a cereal guy
2: I I'm kind of a cereal guy I don't like it for breakfast because it only fills me up for about an hour but I like it as a snack like afternoon get home from uh, you know whatever uh, have it as a nice little snack I'm with you in a cup too you ever do that
1: not I'll do it right out of the the box yeah so so you don't go with milk right you're saying for the snack you just eat the cereal out of the cup or do you put the milk in the cup
2: (sighs) It depends on the day. A lot of the times it's usually dry out of the cup. Just pour a little in a little cup I got there, disposable Mm -hmm. plastic cup, and then eat it out of that as a snack.
1: I'm with you. I've always said that. I don't eat breakfast. You've all been fooled to think breakfast is the most important meal. That's what uh, these cereal companies try to tell you. I don't eat breakfast, and if I eat cereal, yeah, it's uh, like at the end of the night. It's like a midnight snack. I'll eat it right out of the box. I'll get some Cocoa Puffs, and that'll be my dessert. Love a good cereal. Um, Ever made juice from frozen concentrate in a can?
2: I haven't made juice from that. I know we use, like, the lime juice to make, like, key lime pie. Uh, my mom's big. She she loves making key lime pie. So we, we use that for pies and stuff. But, uh, no, I've never had juice out of a can.
1: No, the only I could say is, like, if you make a daiquiri or something, right? Like al- an alcoholic drink. Yeah. That's the only thing. I've never made uh, some sort of orange juice. Have you ever attended a birthday party at a fast food restaurant?
2: <laughs> I have not. I remember a bunch at Chuck E. Cheese when yes. I was about five or six. Yes. <laughs> And I I guess that doesn't really count as fast food. Everybody loved their pizza, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, they they had pretty good pizza, apparently. But no, uh, never at, like, a Burger King or a McDonald's.
1: I may have. I don't know. But that was a big deal. I mean, my grandparents used to take – that was a big deal. Now, I grew up – my mother's a personal trainer, so we didn't get fast food very often. So when we were at my grandparents, and they take us out to, like, a McDonald's or whatever, that was a big deal. we get a little fast food. Uh, So I certainly remember that was, like, a big deal going there and having a sit-down meal, and you get the crown at Burger King. I don't know if I ever did an actual party. My family were Italian, so we didn't like Chuck E. Cheese because my my family heard there's a bunch of rats in there. We don't do good, You know, Italians, they stay away from rats. No rats allowed in the mafia. So we, uh, we, Chuck E. Cheese, all the rats. No, thanks. Um, Can you imitate the dial-up sound? Do you know what dial-up is?
2: Is that that, like, really annoying sound at the uh, beginning or end of a phone call uh, from... Oh, jeez. The landlines, right? Yes. Yeah. You're,
1: on. you're on the right track, yeah. Back yeah. in the day. I'm old enough to remember this. Yeah. You either had to choose the landline or internet. You couldn't use both the phone and the internet at the same time. And so when somebody was using the internet and you would call them, you would get that noise like you're calling a fax machine. And then if you were trying to use the internet and you connected the internet, it would be that annoying sound when you were dialing up the internet. I'm not going to make it on on air, the noise, but I, oh, I can hear it. It haunts your dreams. <laughs> And that was always the worst. We had one computer for the family. I had two older brothers, right? Have, we had to do schoolwork. And my mother would say, oh, I'm expecting a call. You can't use the Internet. And then, okay, well, you can use it for 20 minutes. Then I got to have the phone after that. Oh, terrible. Terrible times. Let me tell you. Um, were you kind and remembered to rewind? I mean, if you even get where that references. Did you ever have to be kind and rewind?
2: Uh, I mean, we, we still kind of do. We've got DirecTV still for some reason. So uh, we like tape games, rewind games, all that stuff. I'm not really sure if I'm picking up on
1: the, the right. That's today's rewind, yeah. Okay, yeah. But back in the day when you had to get a tape from Blockbuster, you would rent a movie on VHS, and if you didn't rewind it, you would uh, have to pay a fee when you returned the movie. Oh, so that's, yeah, okay, okay. And people, they even had machines just to rewind a VHS tape. <laughs> you put it in your little port. It's like a portable VCR, but it doesn't attach to a TV, and you would press the button and rewind the tape. That was a big deal. If you brought back a tape that wasn't rewound, you're getting punished for it. <laughs> this one I, 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 I'm not familiar with. Did Marlowe or Mavis Beacon teach you how to type?
2: No. No. Yeah, I don't, Who are those people? I have no idea. I don't even know. <laughs> so did you
1: did you take some sort of typing class? Did you ever do something like that?
2: Yeah, when I was in middle, like right before high school, because I remember it actually counted for a high school credit, so I took it. Um, but it was like, it was all like computerized at that point. Yeah, right. So yeah, I'm not sure who either of those people are.
1: That is something that has stuck around. I mean, even my parents' generation used to do type, but back then it was for, uh, it wasn't a computer that you were practicing on. Or maybe it was way back when, but the computer used to be as big of as, a, as a classroom. Uh, but typing class, at least my generation and, and yours as well, evidently, right, still teaching typing. And you had the stupid for the computer keyboard, the home keys. When you actually type on a computer, Anderson, do you actually use the home keys? Do you actually practice what you uh, were taught? Uh, not really. Honestly. No, I don't. Yeah,
2: I just go by feel, you know. You get used to what you want to do and it makes it a lot easier.
1: It sure does. I do a lot of the pointing with my index fingers just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just pressing the button. that's all. We'll get some more of these coming up next hour as well because I love to reminisce on a throwback Thursday. Right now, I don't think we're winning bingo for this Gen X bingo card. <laughs> but in the meantime, we'll wrap up Hour 2 when we come back. Plenty more to do throughout the afternoon. We'll circle back to our bingo card next hour. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.
0: Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
1: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We're playing a little uh, Gen X bingo as it goes by online. We'll get back to that next hour here on the Morrow Midday Show. Usually do Trent's takes. Trent's out of town. We were talking about travel yesterday. Hopefully uh, his travels have been okay because did you see this story? This made big headlines. Simone Biles was on a flight the other day and she was annoyed. She got uh, mistaken for a child apparently. She's 25 years old, and right? she's won all sorts of uh, medals in the Olympics. And the flight attendant came up to her and asked her if she wanted a coloring book. Now, Simone Biles, she's 25. She's 4 uh, feet 8. and right? She's a gymnast. I don't know if that's offensive, though. Right? I think you're, maybe you're just assuming that the flight attendant thought you were a child by offering a coloring book. Maybe they're just trying to be kind because they tell you what, coloring books have become a big thing for even adults. I was gifted some adult coloring books a few years ago. It's supposed to be a real stress release. I never liked coloring. I was never a great colorer, to, to be honest with you. Right, struggled to stay inside the lines. My two brothers are very artistic. They're great drawers. Uh, my stick figures were lousy. So I was never big into the whole coloring thing. But I know plenty of people that even as adults, right? sometimes you go out to eat, and maybe now you have kids. And the kids, the when you used to go out to eat, we were just talking about old school things. I'm sure restaurants still have this. But they used to have the for the mat on the uh, the table, the tablecloth. used to be like a paper tablecloth, and you used to have things that you could color. And maybe now, even as an adult, you bring your kids out to eat, and maybe you find yourself coloring along with your kids. Nothing wrong with a coloring book. But Simone Biles posted a, uh, an annoyed photo on social media. I think she had fun with it as well. But I'm sure for somebody, you all have that friend who looks really young, and they're annoyed of, of always being confused for being younger than they are. And then there's a certain point, right, when you grow up, You spend so much time wanting to look older. You grow your facial hair, whatever it may be, try to look older. And then there's a certain point in life you reach when then you want to look younger. Where you make that turn and you think, oh, shoot, I don't want to be older than I am anymore. I've gotten too old. I have to look younger now. And that's when people may elect for different surgeries and whatnot. But Simone Biles at 25... Uh, it's never, uh, never a bad thing to be mistaken to be younger than you are. And if they're offering you coloring books, uh, maybe it's not because they think you're a kid. Maybe just they think you'll enjoy uh, some coloring on a long flight. Even adults love coloring these days. Hour 3 coming up next. We'll get back to the NBA's big problem. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
0: WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234 CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Yes, it's
5: back, 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 back again. again, again. back, 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 tell a friend. Guess who's back, 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 guess,
1: who's back? guess who's back, Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. The podcast is available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page and you can find the podcast available there. While there on our show page, charlestonsportsradio.com, you can also leave a comment for the show. Get to us on Twitter at Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Or you can always join the conversation on the phones as well, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Caught up earlier with Corey McCartney talking about the Atlanta Braves. You can find that conversation on demand by searching the podcast. Talked about Big 12 media days as we get towards this whole talking season in college football, and it's going to be even more interesting now with all the moving and the shaking and the uncertainty in certain areas of college football. SEC Media Days coming up. Mike Gundy was... Um, I thought had some interesting points yesterday that we touched on last hour. You can find it all on the podcast. We'll get back to our Gen X bingo card as well later on, on a throwback Thursday. And I was very disappointed. If you listen to the show, you know I talk each and every week about how uh, Wednesday night is supposed to be my pickup basketball night. And sure enough, it seems to rain on most Wednesdays. So yesterday... Because of the rain that came through, we had to cancel things. So no basketball last night. Very disappointed. Couldn't get out there and uh, run around. It's gone, we've gone a few weeks now without being able to play because of the the stupid weather. Anderson, what uh, sports did you play growing up?
2: Uh, I played golf. Um, mm. Still into that a little bit. The only sport you can really, well, other than, I guess, basketball and adult league softball. But sport you can play for life, I guess. Yes. And then, in high school, I played uh, football and basketball.
1: Oh, look at that. Got another <laughs> basketball player around here. I tell you what, we could put together a pretty good team with all the youthfulness we have in this building now. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. With uh, you guys and all your basketball ability.
2: Should make a summer league team. That's right. those rec leagues. <laughs>
1: yeah, we got to join a men's league because uh, we got a bunch of young guys that we can run circles around those <laughs> old guys out there. And I'm one of those old guys nowadays. But, but uh, we can uh, – it's like a B12 shot. Get some energy out there because uh, our program director around here, there's a lot of talking about playing basketball. So now we got to, we got a full starting five here in the building. So that's pretty good. Hey, speaking of basketballs, how we open the show and I want to circle back to it, the NBA and their big issue. Because um, Adam Silver addressed this, we talked about it the other day. It's 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 known. It's why Adam Silver had to address it. It's obvious. The big problem facing the NBA and what they're dealing with. And it's the big story this offseason season with Kevin Durant trying to force his way out of Brooklyn, and that's just the latest example of these players in the nba trying to uh, force their way to other teams not wanting to play the biggest problem the nba has right now is just getting their stars out there on the court and that's an issue that should not be the problem we don't have to worry like is patrick mahomes going to play this week is he going to be okay to play for the chiefs this year in the nba we don't know if the stars are going to be out there we don't know who they're going to play for when they're going to play how many games they are going to play are they happy you know, you talk about college sports always having to recruit kids now because of the transfer portal. You're recruiting them even when they're on campus. You're recruiting them all four years. You have to make sure that they're happy. In the NBA, it's the same idea. What can we do to make you happy? And even when Brooklyn does everything that Kevin Durant wishes, well, still unhappy, evidently. Wants a trade. So here was uh, Adam Silver in his comments talking about this big issue in the NBA with these guys trying to demand trades, force where they go, and essentially the players running the league. Here's what the NBA commissioner said.
3: I don't know whether, whether he requested a trade or demanded one, but uh, this needs to be a two-way street. Um, teams provide enormous security and guarantees to players, and the expectation is in return that they'll meet their end of the bargain. I'm realistic that there's always conversations that are going to go on behind closed doors between players and their representatives on the teams, but we don't like to see players requesting trades and we don't like to see it playing out the way it is
1: adam silver talking about the trade requests in the nba so we have that going on the nba we have the braves dropping two out of three against the mets this week and the importance of that series and that takes us to this where we uh, which we do uh, from time to time to get you caught up the biggest stories of the day but it's the big two at two
0: The Big Two at Two, where Luke recaps the two biggest stories of the day,
1: right here on the Morrow Midday Show. I was posed an interesting question earlier, that if you swap the commissioners of the NBA and the NFL, how would things work out if you swap Adam Silver for Roger Goodell? I think all the commissioners are unpopular. In fact, Adam Silver may be the most popular amongst fans and even the players. I also think that's a problem because he doesn't work for the players. He works for the owners. But he's too much of a player's commissioner. I think if you swap the two, I think Roger Goodell probably would be better off. I think Roger Goodell's the best commissioner we have. He's popular to hate. We hate all of our commissioners. We give them all a hard time. We call them all idiots. They don't know what they're doing. But for Roger Goodell, since taking over, the NFL continues to grow. They're bringing record profits. They're pulling away from every other sport. He has gotten them on every network and also streaming now as well. I think Adele has done just a fine job. You may not like how he handles certain suspensions. That's not supposed to be, you know, that's not supposed to fall on his plate. That's why they went out, and they've put together now a committee that handles those types of things. He's more on the business side and bringing in money and what's best for the league, and I think he's done a pretty darn good job. Adam Silver is popular because he's very media-friendly. The media likes him. People in the media know him personally. He's well-spoken. He's a smart guy. He comes off as a good guy. Right, he's never Rob Manfred has put his foot in his mouth. Adam Silver never really has done so. But I don't think Adam Silver has been a good commissioner for the NBA. And I think this is one of the problems. Right? He works for the owners and yet nobody has been better for the players. He's too much of a player commissioner. And the biggest problem the NBA is facing is trying to get players to actually play in games. That's a pretty big issue. Right? Just like if you were running a company and you tried to it was such a an effort to get your employees to work, that'd be a pretty big problem. Now, they don't want to work, and they didn't show up today. And when they do show up, right, they don't want to do anything. They want to be good for your company. But between load management and player empowerment, it's hard to get the guys out on the floor. They're either sitting out a third of the games during the regular season, or you know they're forcing their way. They're just sitting out in general, sitting out for the entire season, forcing their way out from that city. Ben Simmons just refusing to play all year. James Harden forcing his way out in back-to-back seasons. Kyrie Irving refusing to play the last two years and now trying to force his way out. And Kevin Durant doing it with four years left on his contract. It's not great. And if you're a player, here's the kicker. You don't have to sign these contracts. And if you don't want to commit four extra years to the Nets, you don't want to be there, don't sign the deal. You don't have to. But when the NBA players want the long-term security and all that money but not honor that commitment, you can't have it both ways. An NBA GM recently said that this is the worst thing that has happened. I'm paraphrasing, but this is the worst thing that has happened to sports at any level. The player empowerment, how they have uh, all the leverage. The front offices don't. It's not good for the teams. And players, regardless of what you think about your favorite athlete, they may be very intelligent. They may be good businessmen, right? Magic Johnson has been good in business. Even Alex Rodriguez, LeBron James, seems to uh, have a good business sense. doesn't mean they should be running the league while they're still playing in said league. Well, if you look at the... Uh, average age of the ceos for the fortune 500 companies it's 57 because as i said earlier experience is always the most important thing the players should not be running the league that's why you have these front office executives and a commissioner and all these people in these roles once they retire yeah if you're michael jordan right you could buy a team try to run a team magic johnson same idea you could work for the league guys go on and do that isaiah thomas was like working for the nba at one point but not when you're currently playing You may think you know what's best for the league. You probably know what's best for you, but that's not always what's best for the league itself. What Kevin Durant sees as what's best for him isn't necessarily best for the NBA. Now, here's the thing in all this. With all of that said, I don't like the direction of the league with the player empowerment and demanding trades and guys sitting out games. But as they say, no publicity is bad publicity. In one sense, this is all kind of good for the league. Because what's everybody been talking about? Kevin Durant. And now even Donovan Mitchell and all these trades in the NBA offseason. It's more interesting than the actual games. The drama in the offseason. It's more interesting than anything else going on in the sports world. Maybe not for you. Maybe not for me. Maybe not here on our station. But in general, if you took a a poll or you just... You know, were watching all of the different media coverage throughout the country. I think the Durant storyline's gotten more run than even college football. Changing overnight with that USC-UCLA announcement. And they both... Broke that news on the same day. The decision was a huge deal when LeBron was a free agent, by the way. What was the biggest thing of that summer? LeBron choosing where he was going to go. There was a TV special. I remember where I was watching that. We just had the anniversary. What, the, I think, 11 year anniversary? 12 year? Just passed it about a week or two ago. I remember exactly where I was, who I was with, when I was watching. That was a huge deal. And all he was doing was announcing which team he was signing with next. The NBA offseason's more interesting a lot of times than the actual regular season. And it works really well on social media with a younger generation, and that's important nowadays. So I'm sure there's also part of Adam Silver that kind of appreciates all this because it gets people talking about his league. And, again, no publicity. At least they're talking about the NBA. I mean, this is Major League Baseball's time to shine. They're the only sport going on. We're heading into the All-Star break. I think the NBA is getting more attention because of Durant than even Major League Baseball, and they're actually playing games. As a basketball fan, I don't like it. I don't like the player movement. I don't like Kevin Durant signing this contract and then with four years left after the Nets did everything for him, trying to force his way out. I think it's also soft. I don't like players sitting out games. You buy a ticket, you don't know who you're going to see that night. You try to tune in on TV, the stars aren't playing. It's not good. But there is part of this that for a portion of the fan base, they do enjoy it. Whether it's on social media or the drama or the gossip or the offseason, the wondering what's going to happen or being able to play GM at home with their favorite team, I don't think it's good for the league. But there's part of it that does kind of help out the NBA, and that's probably why Adam Silver does maybe secretly appreciate it. Story number two that we talked about earlier is the Braves and the Mets. Look, the Braves dropped two out of three for the Mets. You're not going to overreact too much to a series in July we still have not reached the All-Star break. But I thought, number one, the Mets really made a statement to go into Atlanta against the hottest team in baseball and win the series. I thought, number two, a little bit of a concern to come out of the series for the Braves is all their runs only scored on homers. Now, we talked about this earlier with Corey McCartney, and you can find that interview uh, on demand. But they only scored when they hit a home run. The Braves lead the league in homers. They're on pace to set a franchise record. Seems like a good thing. Problem is, teams that are too reliant on home runs don't actually win in October. It's what has kept the Yankees back for a dozen years. So if you're the Braves, you just played against the Mets, right? The most important games on your schedule throughout the year, the team you're competing with directly in your division, you only scored on homers against a pretty good pitching staff. It could be a little bit of a glimpse of what could potentially play out in October. Now, the Braves do get the Mets 12 more times. It'll be really fascinating. But as Corey said, the Mets will also probably be better off when they face them in the future because they'll get the ground back and some of the hitters that were unavailable this week and then my third takeaway from all this is that again you don't want to overreact to some games being played in july but it's always important whenever you face somebody in your division because you get a win they get a loss and if you go back to 2012 every team since then that has won the nl east has the best record against the division since 2012 when the braves have won these divisions four years in a row it's because they've had the best record in the division Right now, the Mets have the by far the best record in the NL East against the NL East. And the Marlins have the next best. The Braves have only the third best record. And almost half of their wins have come against the Nationals, who they play this weekend. So that's the big issue. The Braves are playing really good baseball. They have the best record in baseball the last six weeks. They're going to be fine. They're going to be a playoff team. Uh, they very well could win the division still. I'm not telling you to sell your stock or to punt or, you know, the Braves are, are doomed. None of that. But to drop two out of three at home against the Mets... After the way they've been playing, a little discouraging. The Mets were the ones that made a statement. The Braves only scored on homers. That can be troubling. And the Braves missed an opportunity to gain some ground on that first-place team. They need to do better against the National League East. They have the third-best record in that division. The Marlins are better against their own division. And the last nine division winners have the best record in the division against the NL East. Right now, it's the Mets. So the Braves, you have to take advantage of those opportunities to give yourself a win and give the Mets a loss along the way as well. By the way, Buck Showalter had uh, quite the quote after the game yesterday where he said something along the lines of, let me see if I can pull it up quick, but he said something along the lines of, um, I'm not going to say they didn't want it in regards to the Braves, but we wanted it more, something along those lines. From yesterday's finale, which, you know, was a day game. It was getaway day for the Mets. Uh, The Braves were at home. Are the Braves, are they playing in Washington this weekend? I guess it was getaway day. Yeah, they are in Washington, so I guess it was getaway day for both teams. And a lot of times that could lead to some ugly performances because you're looking forward to that tree. You just want to get out of town. Afternoon game, you just played the night before, quick turnaround. You're looking to, yeah, let's just get on the plane and go to the next city. And the Braves have struggled in series finales in recent weeks. But Showalter, even, uh, he's, not one to, he's not afraid to uh, have strong opinions or to share what he really thinks. And he made a comment yesterday, uh, something along those lines, about uh, the Mets wanting it more than the Braves. I don't think I don't know if it's full bulletin board material, but the next time you play the Mets, if you're the Braves, right, that should get you a little fired up. Yeah, I got it, I finally grabbed the quote. Showalter said yesterday after the game, I'm not saying they didn't want it. Talking about the Braves. But our guys, you could tell they were ready to play today. That's kind of taking a little bit of a shot at the Braves. Like, yeah, our guys are ready to play. You know what you're saying in that. What you're saying, they weren't. Our guys were ready, their guys weren't ready. So Showalter taking a little bit of a shot at the Braves yesterday for coming out a little uh, lackadaisical in a Wednesday afternoon series finale. These two teams play each other 12 more times the rest of the way. It's going to be fun baseball every time they match up with one another, and they're going to be huge games. In order to win the division, you probably have to have the most wins against said division, and right now the Braves are third. They have to do better in that area. I imagine they'll get a few more wins this and against the Nationals. Hey, coming up, we're going to catch up with Phil Steele tomorrow. Uh, I was out of town last week uh, when he was making his rounds. I know was on Fan Talk last Friday. He'll be with us on the show tomorrow at 1230. Looking, always looking forward to that annual conversation. Got uh, the magazine in my hands literally right now. Uh, I've been flipping through it. It's a great read. So looking forward to talking with Phil tomorrow and, and previewing the college football season. But when we come back along those lines, we'll preview it a little ourselves. Which of the conference championship games this past season in college football Have the greatest chance of being repeated this year in college football. We'll get to that coming up. The Morrow Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
4: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle.
5: Deal with it.
0: On the Morrow Midday Show.
1: Coming up, which conference championship game in college football is the best chance of repeating this year? Tomorrow, Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We'll get back to our Gen X bingo card later on as well, but I could tell you in the era of LimeWire and Napster, I hope we're past some sort of statute of limitations, uh, that was one of those songs there that was always mislabeled, and then people would just think that that's who the song was by. If you used to download that song online, everyone would always label it as Van Morrison. And so then a bunch of kids would always say, oh, yeah, that song by Van Morrison. Life is a Highway was always uh, a Tom Petty song on LimeWire. And then uh, Sister Hazel's one hit was always credited to Blues Traveler. In fact, when I Google Sister Hazel, one of the first questions that comes up is, is Sister Hazel Blues Traveler? That's the LimeWire effect. Uh, That's how impactful that most people are Googling that. Because everybody thought of a certain generation, if you used to download music online, uh, which, of course, none of us ever did, if somebody's listening, especially Metallica. But if you used to download your music online, uh, there was a bunch of songs that was always mislabeled. That was one of them. Hey, which of the college football conference championship games have the best chance of repeating themselves this year? If we look at the five last year in the ACC, of course, it was Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. In the Big 12, you had Baylor, Oklahoma State. Big 10 was Michigan, Iowa. In uh, the Pac-12, it was Utah, Oregon. And then in the SEC, it was Georgia and Alabama. I don't know if we want any of these games to actually repeat because only one was decided by less than 17 points. That was Baylor, Oklahoma State, which was a fun game. Uh, It was the best of the bunch. But even that game was the lowest scoring. So pick your poison. Either a close game, but low scoring, or a blowout with a bunch of points. And if you go back and look at these games, we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago, but most of the teams that reached the conference championship last year had win totals in Vegas of under, I think it was under eight and a half, I believe it was. They were not expected to actually be there. You know, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, Michigan, even Utah. So a lot of surprises. This year, which conference has the best chance of repeating that same championship? Well, I think, it's, right, I think we could all come up with a pretty obvious answer. In the ACC, Pittsburgh and Wake Forest, I, I think there's a belief that Clemson won't miss out on the conference championship game two years in a row. There's also some hype around Miami. There's concern about Pittsburgh replacing Kenny Pickett. Wake Forest kind of reaching their ceiling last year. Can they do it again? In the Big 12, you have Baylor and Oklahoma State. It could be interesting. But a lot of people are very excited. Oklahoma's the favorite. Texas is number two with Quinn Ewers coming in. And we are always, we are always uh, distracted, attracted to those big brand names. So people are paying attention to Oklahoma or Texas. I could see Baylor and or Oklahoma State getting back there, especially Baylor. Good defensive team, good coach. And I think the Big 12 is wide open. In the Big Ten, Michigan and Iowa, well, the belief is that Ohio State, especially this year, will not miss out on the conference championship game once again. And they'll be there instead of Michigan. Utah, Oregon, possibility. I really like Utah this year. If you listen to the show, you know that. But most people think USC, already in year one of Lincoln-Riley, that that is their conference to lose. I don't know if that's the case. This is another one that I would also put towards the top half of this list. And before I get to the SEC, which I think would be the obvious answer. Let me give you some context in what Vegas believes. When it comes to the ACC, Pittsburgh has the second-best odds, Wake Forest third-best, the two schools behind Clemson. So, in the eyes of Vegas, there's a pretty good chance that could happen again, Pittsburgh-Wake Forest. That is if Clemson does not hold up their end of the bargain. In the Big 12, Baylor has the fourth-best odds to win the conference. Oklahoma State has the third-best, again, behind Oklahoma and Texas. So for that matchup to continue once again this year, Texas will have to continue to disappoint. And Brent Venables will have to struggle a bit in year one. In the Big Ten, Michigan and Iowa, they have the second and the third best odds only behind Ohio State. So, you know, pretty good possibility there. However, Ohio State is such a favorite. They're in that top tier with Georgia and Alabama. That it would be a big surprise if they're not in the Big Ten championship again this year. And in the Pac-12, Utah and Oregon have the second and third best odds only behind USC, which is why I think, yeah, that that could be likely because I'm not as high on USC in year one. I think they'll be much better than last year. I don't know if they win the conference in the first year of Lincoln-Riley. Some people have them going to the playoff. I don't think that's the case this year. I think there's a little bit of a learning curve in year one. You're bringing in all these pieces, hoping they gel. And I like Lincoln-Riley, but, you know, there's also, there was a ceiling to what he could accomplish at Oklahoma. Then you get to the SEC, and this, of course, is the most obvious one. Georgia-Alabama, they're the two favorites to not only win the conference, they're two of the top three favorites, along with Ohio State, to win the national championship. So if you had to pick one conference championship game that could repeat, that, of course, is the safest bet. In fact, if I had to order these, SEC is number one. And then I'd probably put Utah, Oregon, probably number two in the Pac-12. And then Michigan, Iowa, number three. No, I take that back. I'd go Baylor, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State would be the wild card. But I'd probably put that number three. And then I'd put the Big Ten, maybe fifth, ACC fourth. Because to put the ACC or the Big Ten higher, you would be banking on Ohio State disappointing again this year and Clemson disappointing, and I don't think that's uh, the best bet to make. I think you a safer bet would be Texas underperforming compared to Ohio State or Clemson, or even USC underperforming compared to Ohio State or Clemson this year. But the SEC has the best chance of repeating Georgia-Alabama. In fact, I do think that's the SEC title game we will get because those have been the best two teams in the SEC – Maybe the last handful of years. Who's going to challenge Georgia? I think that's the better question than even Alabama. And Alabama's usually the safer bet. But do you think Kentucky could win that division? Tennessee, Florida in year one of Billy Napier, South Carolina with Spencer Adler? There may be a bigger gap between Georgia and the rest of their division than Alabama and the rest of theirs. I mean, you got Texas A&M trying to nip at their heels. You have Brian Kelly at LSU. Maybe Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss takes a step forward after being a top 10 team last year. Arkansas is very intriguing. So that's probably the bigger question mark, but I'm always going to bet on Nick Saban. It's the same thing I say about Tom Brady, right? I'll be the one to turn out the lights on that Tom Brady party. Everyone else can leave. I'll clean up. I'll be the last one. You can all bail on Tom Brady, and people aren't really bailing him on, uh, bailing on him as much now as a few years ago. All right? But everyone, ah, he's over the hill. He's washed up. Maybe now you're concerned that he's 44. That's okay. You have those concerns. I'm not going to be concerned until he retires. I'll go down on that, that sinking ship. I'll take my chances. I'll be the last one. I'll clean up after everyone leaves the party. I'll turn off the lights. I'll lock the door. You guys go home. You bail on Brady. I'll be the last guy to do it. Same with Nick Saban. Every year. I don't care who's on the team, who they're playing, whatever. As long as Saban's at Alabama and they're in the SEC, I'm going to be the last one to doubt them. So I think Georgia has an easier path, and I think Alabama is just always a safer bet. Which conference championship game can repeat? I think it's clearly the SEC, Georgia, Alabama. I think that's the matchup we get. I don't think anybody can challenge Georgia, and I'm not going to go against Nick Saban. Not as long as he's at Bama. I think that division is going to be really... It's the best division in football. But who would you feel safe, right? That's always a good measuring stick. Ask yourself, who would you feel most confident actually putting your hard-earned money on? Of course it's Saban. I'm not going to bet on LSU instead or Ole Miss. Or even Texas A&M, even if they have better odds. I don't care. I'm not throwing money away. So I would say Alabama-Georgia, of course, has the best chance of repeating. And probably would be the only one that would actually repeat of conference championships. I think you could bank on Clemson and Ohio State getting back there. Maybe they won't, but it's a pretty safe bet. Maybe you think USC will win the Pac-12 this year or at least get to the championship game. Maybe you think Texas with Quinn Ewers or Brent Venables in year one will get to the Big 12. See, that's, the, that's the, the big thing. You have big brands and all these other conferences that did not hold up their end of the bargain last year that are expected to this year. And the SEC was the one conference where, yeah, the two teams that we expected to be the best were actually the best, Georgia and Alabama. They actually came through, and I imagine they'll do the same again this year. They're always a safe bet. When we come back, it is a throwback Thursday. We'll get back to our old-school bingo card and uh, try to reminisce about some things that we did or did not experience in our childhoods. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
4: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
0: On the Morrow Midday Show.
1: It's the Morrow Midday Show at Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio on a throwback Thursday. There's this tweet going around. It's become like a meme now to use internet vernacular. From John Golson, who said, You've just ordered Pizza Hut. You got a new copy of WWF No Mercy for Nintendo 64 and a two liter of Dr. Pepper. No school tomorrow. Your parents don't care if you stay up all night. A perfect summer night. You're 39 years old and the year is 2022. That's the tweet that's gone viral from John Golson and the nostalgia hurt just from reading it. Now i got got uh, friends of mine in a group chat where right, I talk about how that's uh, that uh, sounds just like me. Oh, man, let me tell you, back in the day, that's exactly what we used to do. And Pizza Hut, back in the day, that used to be the place to go because they used to have like the buffet and everything. Now it's just mostly a takeout place. We used to go and be all-you-could-eat all pizza. As we get back towards our Gen X bingo card that we were doing last hour on a throwback Thursday to try to reminisce about certain things in yesteryear. But first, Anderson, if you're ordering pizza, not from some local mom-and-pop shop, but a, a chain restaurant, what's the go-to out of you know Domino's, Papa John's, Pizza Hut? What's the favorite one?
2: It's either Papa John's or Pizza Hut for me. Um, I think Papa John's, and I, this might be because they were the sponsor of the NFL, but I would always get Papa John's on a Sunday and then just relax with my pizza and my garlic-dipping sauce mm. and then just watch some football. So uh, I think I'll go Papa John's, Pizza Hut close second. I actually worked at Domino's for a summer. Oh. And it's one of those things, once you see the bacon made yeah. or whatever, yeah. So I don't really like Domino's anymore. But, um, yeah, I'll go Papa John's.
1: I get that. My brothers worked at uh, Krispy Kreme back as a high school job. And, yeah, I don't think they've had donuts since. <laughs> they used to bring home the Oh, I loved it because they would bring home all the extra donuts. And even if it was, like, a day old, the next morning I'd wake up and all the Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. But I get that idea. Uh, what goes up? What's the pizza topping? What's the favorite type of pizza? I
2: love a good cheese. Uh, and then if it's not cheese, got to go uh, like meat lovers. I love mm-hmm. good meat lovers. And then uh, something like pepperoni, bacon, extra cheese. Oh. I like that. When they've got like a three topping deal. Something yeah. like that. So, uh, yeah, you can go a number of different ways. But uh, normally I just go straight cheese.
1: Yeah, No, you're talk- I haven't <laughs> eaten yet today. You're talking me into getting some pizza. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: We'll get to our bingo card in just a moment. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734, on the text line. In regards to the conversation earlier about the NBA, uh, somebody asked, um, or somebody said, did you notice all the NBA players you mentioned sitting out are stars? Is it ego? Have the stars become bigger than the game? Well, I think a couple of things. I do think ego certainly plays a role, but I also think only X number of guys, certain number of guys can do it, and the ones that are big enough stars. right? Kevin Durant can try to use this power. Now, according to reports, him and Kyrie are both finding out that maybe they're not as wanted as they thought. Maybe not as many teams are interested. Also, the asking price for Kevin Durant is very high, as it should be. But, of course, right, ego plays into this. I also think, and I said this earlier this week, though, part of it is just how we look at these athletes and how we judge them and how we compare them to, say, Michael Jordan, who went 6-0, and and you've got to win all these finals. I mean, I think that's the reason why LeBron's moving around. To, to, to try to go to the easier path it's the same reason kevin durant he left oklahoma city to join golden state because he couldn't beat golden state and then he got his rings at golden state and then he thought okay i still have to prove myself on my own let me go try to do that in brooklyn with kyrie and in brooklyn it's been three years they've won what one playoff series and now it's like okay i want to go to his two teams he requested to be traded to miami and phoenix the two teams have the best records in the conference this past year the best team in the east the best team in the west it's not a coincidence Durant wants to go to the best team so he can win more championships. And maybe that's a difference from years in the past where, uh, you know, guys didn't do that as often. Jordan stayed with the Bulls, Bird and Magic, and even Isaiah, and all these stars. Patrick Ewing stayed with the Knicks, even though they could never get past the Bulls. They, they, Akeem Olajuwon stayed with the Rockets, they, Reggie Miller at the Pacers. These guys never left their teams. That's the big difference. But I think we have put such a large emphasis. If you don't win those championships, you are largely forgotten. Ask Dan Marino. Uh, the ask Charles Barkley, um, Stockton and Malone, even Reggie Miller. If they weren't working in the media, you wouldn't think about them as much. That we put such a large emphasis on these championships that I do get the idea from the players that you know they want to, uh, they don't have that patience. They want to go wherever they can go win. In regards to the last question, have the stars become bigger than the game? I don't think so. Because I think the NBA is always going to be okay, right? Like, this was a concern. When Michael Jordan retired, the NBA did take a hit. Their ratings dropped by about 50%. And at the time, Jordan was seemingly bigger than the NBA. But then LeBron came along, and it took about six years before LeBron entered the league, and it took a couple years for LeBron to really get going. Right, but then you have all sorts of different stars. And now, even as LeBron's a little bit older and Durant is in his mid-30s and Steph Curry's in his mid-30s, look at all the young talent in the league now. So, like, in general, have the stars become bigger than the game? Yeah, maybe. But I don't think any one particular star. The NFL does this really well. Like, when Tom Brady, when he does retire, they'll be just fine. There's not going to be any hit in the ratings. Right, you're going to tune in no matter who's playing. Uh, Brett Favre retired Peyton Manning retired It didn't matter the NFL didn't take any sort of hit the NBA did take a hit from Jordan um but I think right now they're in a good spot with all this young talent that when we get to that point when LeBron finally retires and Durant I think they're producing enough young talent that there's enough guys you'd be interested in like a Luka Doncic Giannis will still be around so in general yeah the stars probably have become bigger than the game because it is a star-driven league the NBA is all about the stars but I don't know if it's as big as one or two stars like Durant may think he's the most important guy durant was injured a couple years ago uh, you could you know if durant misses a year i don't think like the nba is folding Kyrie irving has sat out games the last two years uh, lebron's been injured the last three years he's playing out in the west coast where not as many people are watching him may not be ideal for the nba but it's not like oh boy right the nba screwed because no not everyone's watching lebron james the stars are bigger than the league itself which is why they have this much power but i think there's we're getting to a point where there's enough stars now that the nba will be okay and with that, let's get back to our Gen X bingo card on a throwback Thursday and see how many of these things we put Anderson to the test. He's doing a great job uh, running the show. Let's see how many of these things. he It's its labeled Gen X. As I said earlier, I think Gen X is even a little too old. That's people that were born in the 60s and 70s. Some of these things I think are more like uh, 90s kids, but nonetheless. Let's run through a few more of these before we go this Thursday afternoon. Um. Did you ever have to use Collect to make a phone call?
2: Never. I honestly don't even know what that
1: is. Really? Not familiar. I don't think I ever used it. I know what it is. I remember the commercials, 1-800-COLLECT, and the, the yellow uh, background of the, the label. And the commercials were pretty funny. And even Geico used it in like a commercial where um, they called to tell their parents they had a, they had a kid in the hospital. right? And do you accept the call? And it's just him saying, hey, it was a boy named Nick, born seven pounds, yada, yada, yada. So Geico used it in one of their commercials not too long ago. I don't think I ever actually used it. I was a big wrestling fan in the 90s. They would always advertise during wrestling. Did you ever have to... <laughs> this is a good one for people of a certain age nowadays. Have you ever had to talk to a friend's parent before your friend actually got on the phone when you called them?
2: Yes, I, I can say that I have. To, All right. Yeah, back... Oh, geez, I was probably like 10, 9, 10, 11 years old. We used to call the landlines. Yeah. And, you know, most of the time it'd be the parents picking up. So I actually have done that one.
1: That was always awkward. I got to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. You just want to talk to your buddy. You don't want to have to make small talk with the parents. Mm-hmm. And I've told the story before, but one of my friends is Frank. He's Frank the third. His father's Frank Jr. It was always the worst. We'd call the father would answer. Hey, is Frank there? He's speaking. Oh, is Frank Jr. there? Yeah, speaking. And, oh, it's just the worst. <laughs> I just want to talk to my buddy. I don't want to have to deal with the parents in the meantime. Then they ask like, oh, what are you doing tonight? Right? Because they're suspicious. Ah, I just want to talk to my buddies. You ever have to cover your textbooks with paper grocery bags?
2: I did not. I did not. Was that like to save them from the rain or something on the way to school? Yeah, Honestly,
1: I don't really know why we did that. I guess, yeah, it was to protect the books. I guess we, right, yeah, in elementary school you'd have to return them. Mm-hmm. College, you'd buy the books, but then you try to sell them back, so you always wanted to take good care. Some people wouldn't, like, highlight their books so they could sell them back. So I guess that the book covers was always a big deal, at least when I was growing up. And I guess, yeah, just to protect the books, I guess they would charge you more. I, I don't have I don't, I don't kids, so I don't know what it's like if you, rechar- if you return a damaged book at the end of fifth grade. Are they charging you? I don't know. <laughs> but that was a big deal. The book covers. You needed a cool book cover. And we used to have uh, like a book fair in school, and you could buy the different types of covers. But a lot of kids, their, their mother would just do, uh, my mother included, we would do just the uh, paper bags instead of buying some sort of fancy design for the book cover. Do a paper bag, you write science book. That's that's it. And you knew that was your science book. You ever got a piercing at the mall? I did
2: not. I did not. Um, I I do think that girls my age have, though. Yeah? Yeah, That's still a thing? I think so. Or at least it was probably eight ten years ago.
1: I don't have any piercings. But I tell you what, back in the day, there was a place called, uh, I don't know if it's national or what, but it was in the malls where I was. uh, I think it was Piercing Pagoda, I think it's called. That was a hot spot to get like you'd get jewelry for your girlfriend or whatever. That was a good spot. You'd get some cheap jewelry there. They would also they would do piercings, but they'd also you could buy a ring, you could buy a necklace. I think that's what it's called. Piercing pagoda. That's where I went all the time for gifts. They were real cheap and nobody would know. Uh, let's see what else we have on here. You ever I have to make sure I say this properly, you ever Star Sixty Nine somebody? On the phone. You have your yes. star 69.
2: Yeah, because then they couldn't see the uh, caller ID. Yeah. Very good. Yeah.
1: So yeah. you're doing prank calls, huh?
2: <laughs> back when I was
1: young, when you can get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, my buddies and I, we did a lot of prank calls back in the day. Oh, yeah. Good to, uh, good way to pass the time. Uh, have you ever ate from paper products with abstract teal and purple squiggle art on them?
2: Yes. Yeah. And those little cups, too. Yeah. paper cups. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's kind of like a a famous little design there, honestly, these days. It
1: is because it's become like a fashion statement. They now have, like, shirts with that design. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe for Halloween, I don't know, but people get, like, sweatsuits where the pants and the shirt have that same design. Oh, that's an iconic design. Oh, yeah. Of your paper products back in the day. The plates and the cups, absolutely. I'm sure this was far before your time. Did you ever scam Columbia House or BMG out of free CDs or cassettes in the mail? (laughs)
2: can't say that i did that
1: one (laughs) that was i'm familiar with it but that was even before like i said earlier my generation is the one that would download music online but back in the day you used to be able to get cds or even albums cassettes for like a dollar from columbia house and they would mail them to you uh when you were homesick from school would you watch the price is right (laughs) no
2: i (laughs) jeopardy though i I would watch jeopardy Eh, close enough yeah yeah
1: I was never really into prices, right? Or even Jeopardy. Yeah. That was always the worst, though. You were homesick from school, which you appreciated, but there was never anything good to watch. Yeah. You'd have to watch, uh, you know, when I was growing up, it was uh, like the Steve Wilco show and uh, Jerry Springer. Yeah. Judge Judy, who I know some of those are still on. Have you ever eaten tan M&M's?
2: No. No. Is that real?
1: I think I've had them. Wow. I think I remember it. Now, do M&M's, do they have a different flavor to them or are they all the same i think they're all the same yeah i think so too (laughs) people always say that that they taste different (laughs) i know um they call them uh they call them what readers when um not the glasses but uh they're writers writers right it's writers when celebrities performers get to they give their list of what they want for a venue, So if somebody comes perform in Charleston, they give their list ahead of time to the venue they're coming to perform, a musician, a stand-up comedian, whatever, of the things they request in their dressing room. Usually they have to pay for most of the stuff, but it's what they want. Anyways, I know a family that had a catering business when I grew up, and they used to work with the local amphitheater for all the concerts. And when uh, Motley Crue came and Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee's request was only a certain color. I wish I remembered. Are there purple M&Ms? I think it was per- only one color. He wanted a bowl of only, like, green M&Ms. <laughs> He wanted M&Ms but only one specific color. I don't think there's a difference. Yeah. But Tommy Lee thought there was. Tan M&Ms. Uh, a few more. I definitely did this. I have the t-shirt to prove it. Did you graduate from Dare?
2: Oh, I know what that is. It's the uh, Oh, it, it's the drugs thing, isn't yes. it? Yeah, I know what that is. We didn't we had like a different sort of thing. They didn't do the whole Dare campaign, but we we definitely had those speakers come to our school.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it worked. <laughs> Uh, but dare to resist drugs and violence. Which, I. Well, uh, dare is actually drug abuse resistance education. There you go. That's where dare comes from. Yeah, I have the t shirt. You would, gra- you know, quote unquote, graduate and you get your little, like, uh, paper diploma and you hang it on the wall and your parents are proud. You pass dare. You're in, like, fifth grade at the time. You never know what they're talking about half the time. I love this one. Did you ever injure yourself with either a slip and slide? A pogo ball, skip it, or moon shoes? Uh,
2: we did the slip and slides. I'm not sure if I ever injured myself to the point where I remember it, but uh, I don't know those other things. What's the pogo ball? Is that not a pogo stick?
1: No, If I remember correctly, my cousins had this. I think if it's the pogo ball where you would tie it around one ankle and you would swing the ball around and you'd have to jump over it. Uh, if I remember correctly, that may be another toy. I don't know. But that, uh, my cousins had that back in the day. Moon Shoes, I did not do. Skip It. Skip It was big. Um, or actually, I may be thinking of uh, that other handheld game. Was that called Skip It? Bop It. Bop It. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And Skip It is actually what I just described, I think. I just Googled Skip It. That's the one where you tie it around your ankle. Okay. So now, Pogo Ball. I don't know what a Pogo Ball is. <laughs> Now I have to Google this. Yeah, Bop It. I just Googled Pogo Ball. I'm not familiar with that. Bop It was all the rage, so you're familiar with Bop It. Oh, yeah.
2: I I had those, yeah.
1: Yeah, that was big time. Yeah. Uh, Two last ones here on Gen X Bingo. Did you wallpaper your bedroom with posters?
2: I kind of still do that to this day in my dorm room in college. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff on my
1: walls. Back in the day, it it was Sports Illustrated. Everybody wanted to put on their walls. Yeah. What are you doing? Now, nowadays, people used to cut out for magazines... And put those on the walls. Are you buying posters? Are you printing things out? Nowadays, what are kids doing to actually put those things up on the wall?
2: Usually it's just stuff. I've accrued like uh, when you go to like the South Carolina basketball games, they have them at the doors. Right. And grab two or three of those, get some football ones, and then I like to get a pennant. I've been to like a handful of bowl games, so I, I usually get a pennant from the little gift shop there and put those on the wall. It's it's just kind of like more of sports memorabilia stuff, really.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I love that. I love that pennants have stood the test of time. I have a bunch of pennants hanging in my uh, in my home as well. My parents do as well. We have all sorts of pennants from over the years. Love those. Lastly. There's a couple other ones I skipped, but the last one. Do you still have anxiety from America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, or Rescue 911? You ever watch any of those shows?
2: Is that like basically Dateline, one of those old Yeah, pretty shows? much, yeah. Yeah, I, know, I never uh, watched any of those. Not even Dateline, really, but um, I think my, my parents do. My dad likes all those uh, mystery murder shows.
1: America's Most Wanted was big, though. That was big time when that was, uh, I don't know, I guess it's not on the air anymore. I don't know. Because they were, America's Most Wanted was about people that were still actively on the loose. Oh, wow. So then it would, you would watch it, and, and it'd say, like, if you have any information, call this number. If you see this person. So then people get freaked out. They think they're in the backyard. <laughs> right? You see somebody uh, go through your bushes at, at night, and you think, oh, shoot, that's the guy I just saw in America's Most Wanted last night. <laughs> so that's where the anxiety comes in from. People would watch that show and think, like, oh, shoot, this guy's in our town. Yeah. Especially if it was something that hit close to home. On Throwback Thursday, if you were playing at home, there you go, Gen X bingo. How many of those things do you remember from when you were growing up? I, I don't know if I actually got bingo, but I knew a few of them. We'll wrap up your Thursday, and we come back. Some more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
0: Now back to the tomorrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. <laughs>
1: Wrapping up your Thursday on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. You can always take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store, and through the app you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world appreciate listeners checking in from at least nine different states and multiple countries on this thursday if you missed anything from this afternoon go find it on demand search espn radio charleston however you listen to your podcast to find the show in full coming up tomorrow will be like a quasi football friday as we uh, are about seven weeks out from college football phil Steele will join us around 12 30 tomorrow to preview the upcoming college football season in the meantime Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. It's the More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.